room for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York? Yes. Where is this man? So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? News travels first. Mr. Scrander, do you know anything about the wizarding community in America? We don't let things loose. Hey, Mr. English guy, I think your egg is hatching. You wiped his memory, right? The no magic. The what? No magic. The non-wizard. Sorry, we call them muggles. I don't think I'm dreaming. I'll give it away. I ain't got the brains to make this up. Something is stalking our city. Wreaking destruction. And then disappearing without a trace. Witches live among us. We've lived in the shadows for too long. I ask all of you, who does this protect? Us? Danger. He senses danger. This is related to Grindelwald's attacks in Europe. This could mean war. We got a plan, right, guys? They need our help. Was that everything that came out of the case? I won't let another one die. I refuse to bow down any longer. Time is running out, Mr. Commander. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. And we're broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, but also coming to you through the power of iTunes and Google Play and well, however you want to listen to podcasts. We try to get out there to as many as possible. And uh, yeah, we have another awesome, epic, magical episode of the IPC podcast for you guys tonight. We, uh, we just got done with the Harry Potter franchise. Or did we? Because we just <laughs> got through watching and talking about Deathly Hollows Part 1 and 2. 
And that's the end. That's it. That's that's all she wrote for the Harry. No, no, not quite. There's at least two more movies in this franchise. If you are aware, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is our discussion topic tonight. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We all watched it. We're all going to talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the next film, which came out today um, in a few weeks. But for right now, we're going to be focused on this film. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. But before we get into that, of course, introductions are in order. If you're new, if you have no idea what's going on, my name is Ben. And joining me, it is my my sit-in co-host, our unofficial, officially unofficial Harry Potter expert co-host for the duration of our Harry Potter arc, is Mr. Dominic Jones. How you doing, man? Hey, it's great to be back. Looking forward to talking about Fantastic Beasts. I, I, you know, this this has been something I've been looking forward to. I'm curious to see uh, or to hear what you guys think about this movie. I think the first one is uh, is a very underrated picture. Hmm. Not so much the second one, but that's that's <laughs> that's something uh, we'll that's something that. we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But for now, let's just put ourselves in the shoes we were in. At least for me, because Ben hasn't seen the second one yet. I'm going to put myself in the shoes I was in back on Tuesday before I'd seen the movie uh, <laughs> Crimes of Grindelwald and just focus on what I enjoy about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Because I think it's a really, a really good, uh, a really fun little one-off Wizarding World adventure. And I would agree with you. Nice. And I'm looking good. forward to uh, getting in. And another person you may have noticed who is absent right now, Mr. Zach Arnold. He is my other co-host. And... uh He'll be here, I promise. He's coming. He's on his way right now. But uh, And we'll be getting his thoughts on Fantastic Beasts a little bit later in the show. But we have to address something here. And we normally speaking right now, we, we discuss the news. But I think there's really only one big news segment, news piece that we need to discuss tonight. And it's one that uh, you know we've been dreading. I think a lot of people, including myself, have been dreading hearing this news for quite some time. Unfortunately, it happened, and we have to address that the uh, unfortunate passing of the legendary Stan Lee, Marvel's Stan Lee. He was a pioneer in the Marvel Comics era, um, going way back, created the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the list goes on and on and on, and uh, you know went on to become even more famous, really, for his many, 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 many Marvel movie cameos. He even had a cameo in uh, the, the uh, what was it, the Teen Titans Go movie. So he even <laughs> made it into DC before he left this earth. So that's pretty amazing. And unfortunately, he passed away earlier this week at the age of 95. An incredible life, an incredible career. And someone who has just been beloved for so long and will deeply, deeply miss him because, you know, he like I said, he he's just this legend that this became almost a character unto himself. Like he was in the movies and he developed this thing and just like he ran with it. And he was someone that, you know, he he his his you know, his presence will be so missed in future Marvel movies, at future conventions, just in general. Absolutely. Um, he really was, I think, one of the great storytellers of our Indeed. time. 
of, of his time, of, of any of the time that, that he spent on, on, on Earth. He really was one of the great storytellers, and, and his impact um, will continue to be felt for forever. I mean, the um, Marvel Comics, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, every, 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 all of those characters um, that he was involved with the creation of, and so many more, um, they they're still being featured, uh, not just as comics these days, but also as TV shows, as films, and as more people are introduced to those stories, they will go back and revisit um, the stuff that Stan created that inspired the people who are telling stories with those characters today, and, and you know that impact will be felt across all mediums, uh, all variations on, on storytelling. And uh, you know we'll truly never see anybody quite like him. And and the other thing that was so so wonderful about Stan was all of this sort of fame and and adulation and and everything, and and how beloved he was by fans. It never felt like it was a burden to him. And yeah. for people of of his generation, you sometimes got the feeling that it was a burden to them that they 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 didn't want. To be part, they didn't. They didn't want all the adulations. They they just wanted to do their art and uh, and and uh, then have the audience just be completely separate. Um, but people like, but and you see that even like in somebody like Sir Alec Guinness and his uh, lack of interest in Star Wars um, yeah. beyond his his direct involvement. Um, and and you know that's people of of that generation. That's kind of how they looked at it. And now you've kind of seen a, a turnaround and. And people are a little bit more excited about their fans. Uh, but Stan was really ahead of his time because he was he was going to conventions, answering questions, being being Stan Lee, the uh, public figure for for so long. And I think there's a lot of people that were introduced to him that way um, without even necessarily picking up a comic. They saw him as the guy, the comic guy that was at mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at uh, at co- conventions, at comic cons, and things like that, and then they went back and, and discovered his work. And uh, again, just another another piece of his legacy is he was one of the first people, and this is another way he was ahead of his time to understand the the power of of comic comic art, of graphic art, as a storytelling medium. And he took it and he realized that it wasn't just for silly cartoons in the newspaper or things that were so stupid, so stupid, but they thought they were oh, kids all like this. Uh, he created real characters and, um, and, and important and, and, and real situations and, and situations of that, of great, uh, dramatic purpose that, uh, you know, people that, that it, it, it got so many more people into comics. And I think again, the, the comic book, boom that we're seeing now or the comic or the superhero boom i think is more accurate uh is a direct result of of people like stan showing that this was a viable medium for interesting storytelling and uh you know some of the stuff we see these days in in graphic novels and superhero films wouldn't have been possible without him saying no the comic book can be more than what you think it is and i'm going to show you how with great stories about people like peter parker and others and you know, his impact, uh, I think, can't be overstated. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely not. And you, I, I, you mentioned Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Like, I mean, arguably one of the most, you know, uh, relatable superhero characters ever is, is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Who, and one of Stan Lee's creations. 
And I think, I mean, that's just a testament to like what type of character Stanley was creating and, and the type of stories that he told. And it wasn't just about it. Willie was kind of a turning point, I think. And probably, I mean, it had to because all this stuff has a trickle down effect and all of this stuff affects everything else. So n- undoubtedly, you know, doing that way back in the day with, you know, taking as I mean, you, you watch older stuff and like, you know, that certain films and television series they don't take things as seriously like look at the batman the original series like <laughs> compare that to the dark knight like it's the same character but it's this you know taking a character very seriously versus being you know very loose and just doing whatever and accepting that oh it's just a kids thing well no i mean even if it is like still you should take this, the characters and the story seriously i think stanley understood that he was a true artist in the way that he wanted his characters to be real and true and feel you know feel relatable yeah and so you have you know characters like you know spider-man and all the the plethora of characters from marvel like and before that they were doing just random stuff we probably never heard of because it didn't make an impact but (laughs) that kind of stuff that stanley introduced did make an impact it did you know still to this day is making an impact and and thankfully you know he got to live to see all that happen not only see it but interact and be in those movies be like this just pop culture icon of a person that is literally everywhere and had a had a almost i mean every mcu movie i know he has a line i think and and you know, going way back in with X Men movies or whatever, and yeah. he's just he's just everywhere. And he, and as you said, like his personality, I think is what sell sold him as like someone. Like I don't think he wanted to be in all the movies or go to conventions and do everything he did just for the fame or whatever. Like he legitimately he loved what he did. He loved recreating. He loved the fans, mm-hmm. and people could tell that, and and people loved that. You know. You know, certain celebrities are like, as you said, certain are standoffish. Um, <coughs> cough, hair support. Um, but you know, <laughs> some of them like they're not. You don't. I, I don't want to judge them because, like, yes, I know being a celebrity is not easy. Being a, being someone in the public eye is not something to laugh at. It, it takes a lot out of you as a person. But Stanley just embraced it and just made it his own and came up with the the character of Stanley, which really was just him. He wasn't playing a character. He was Stan Lee and he was just open and honest about who he was and his feelings about his creations and the fans. Yeah. And and the other thing I, I would just sort of add, you know, with the stories he created and going back to him understanding the the power of the sort of the comic book medium is he didn't just it, 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 in addition to writing these stories that you know, well, maybe they're not the most serious stories ever told necessarily. Um, they had real stakes to them. They felt like they felt like people were were actually telling a story that was worth telling. And he uh, imbued all of his stories with positive messages. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, there there you could tell he was he was a good person, and he was his art was infused with that. And the stories he wanted to tell all. Uh, we're all influenced by that and his, his desire to spread good. And that's really what we should, should expect from superheroes. And 
and he just sort of as with everything he took it to the next level and he, he created stuff that was really a ahead of its time even if it seems uh, uh you know even if it seems old school now it was certainly ahead of its time as it was being created yeah like i mean look at spider-man homecoming mm-hmm. like that that version of the character is probably the most accurate to the comics sure like down to like the steve ditko who just passed away this year too unfortunately like the little wings under the arms like that was a ditko thing that's from the comics and they put that in the movie and it's down to like tom holland actually being a kid and just like (laughs) being someone who is this you know high school kid that happens to have superpowers like that's a fundamental part of the thing and it's not you know all due respect to Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, but you know they weren't believable as as yeah. kids. <laughs> they were great in their own ways, but they weren't believable as like a high school kid. Um, so like you had Tom Holland come along, and you know in in last year, the year before, like and portrayed this character who really was like very down to the comics. Even like that one scene where he's underneath the rubble and he was like, "That's right out of the comics," right? Like. That just shows how timeless these characters are and these stories yeah. are. That stuff that was created 50, 60 years, I mean, many, many, many years ago, decades ago, they can pretty much verbatim pull it out of the comics and put it on the screen, and it still resonates. It's still great. So, and that, that just shows that Stan Lee and everyone at Marvel really, at that time, were really ahead of their time oh, in definitely. making these characters what they were. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's it's um it's one of those, you know, whenever somebody like Stan passes away, somebody who's impacted so many people, one of the it, it, it's sad to lose them and sad to know we're not going to get uh, any more stories from them or mm-hmm. any more appearances by Stan, either in the films or at conventions or anything else. But it is always it's always there's it, it's bittersweet because there is a little bit of uh everybody takes a little bit of time to to celebrate the person and to celebrate their career and their accomplishments and what they meant to what they meant to them and um there's been some some truly um some truly beautiful tributes to to Stan over the past week and it's been mm-hmm. it's been been lovely to lovely to see and uh you know he's certainly somebody who's going to be missed but um it's like Luke Skywalker said nobody's ever really gone and indeed we, there's so much so many, he left behind so many stories so many interviews so many cameos uh that you can go back and and uh revisit or discover for the first time and as i said earlier uh his impact will never stop being felt in com- comics uh in superheroes and in sci-fi fantasy in general uh whether it's people who read his work and were inspired by it or people who were inspired by people who were inspired by his work or people who were inspired by people who were inspired who were who were inspired who were inspired who were inspired inspired by his work you know it, it it's yeah, a, it's yeah. it's all it will be damn near impossible down the line uh, or i would say it's damn near impossible now to uh to see somebody to see a, a superhero or, or a sci-fi fantasy project that what didn't have somebody involved in one way or another who was inspired by Stan well, yeah, and, and, and you just have to think about like how many characters, how many stories Stan created that you know will eventually end up in the MCU. Stuff that we probably yeah. even, haven't even heard of. Just be <laughs> as a, a comic as, noob. As like, casual, yeah, as casual fans of, of some yeah, of the stuff. Yeah, like there's so much stuff. And I, I learn a heck of a lot about the comics just from these movies, mm-hmm. you know, learning about Same. the thing. And 
learning about you know Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and all these guys that thing and and Stan Lee who you know definitely recently is has been very vocal about how people like Steve you know Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby were influential too mm-hmm. and he wasn't all about just taking the credit he really was um very respectful of those guys oh, who yeah. I mean One passed of- I mean on one of the occasions that I, I got, to, I've seen Stan on. I got to see Stan a, a, a live a co- on a couple of occasions, um, and the the last time I, I saw him was at uh, the most recent D twenty three, and he was being honored with a Disney Legends Award, mm-hmm. and yeah. also being honored was Jack Kirby, and they showed the tribute to Jack first, and unfortunately, Mister Kirby has not been with us for quite yeah, some he, time. He passed away in ninety five. Yeah. Um, and, but then when Stan got to go up to accept his award and, and to give his little speech, he just sort of said, you know, it, it's, um, you know, he, he said, just spoke about how touched he was and how, you know, he never would have imagined to be somewhere like that, having just seen such a beautiful tribute to his friend and colleague and then to be accepting the same award. Um, it really, you know, it was, you could tell he was, he was touched, not just the, at the fact that he was being honored, but at the fact that, uh, Jack was being honored as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great, and you know, Stanley, he, he there. I've heard people like people love this guy. It's amazing how much the fans loved him. Really, it really it's not it's not surprising, but it is still stunning. Like people are people talking about like we need a Stanley Day. Like let's do this. Like <laughs> let's honor this guy. Like he deserves it all, and like no arguments from me. Like he, Stanley was just up there. As far as just the, you, you had to love him, and and it, we'll we'll see him again. He's got at least one cameo. They they confirmed that uh, in uh, Avengers Four, his cameo has already been filmed. Well, so good. We'll we'll see we'll see him cameo at least one more time. And it, I would assume yeah. that he'll be in a few more too. Probably. I, I would I I would hope he's in Captain Marvel as well. That would be um, cool. They they pretty much I think finished filming on that one. Yeah. So. So I, I mean, so if, it's, I, if it's coming out in March, I would hope they're done. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're done I, I've, maybe I've, some reshoots, but well, yeah, I heard a while back that like they don't like do it during the shoots. Like he would come in and to the studio and shoot like four or five of the time. Ah, okay, that makes sense. I heard like I th- heard like I think well, back when back when he was employed, James Gunn like directed him on several of those. Ah, gotcha. Well, and if, if Avengers four winds up being the last one, I think there, there's, there's something fitting about, about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It'll be the last of that, you know, that first, I don't want to say phase one, cause I know there's been more than more than one phase already, but like that first, you know, the last hurrah for those original characters that were introduced way back in, you know, 2008, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to all that. And, you know, we'll be enjoying Stanley's work for forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people will still know who Stanley is, even though, you know, he'll be long gone. Um, his effects will be, uh, a felt yeah. for many, many years. Definitely. And, uh, speaking of the fans and his effects and, you know, how people felt about him, we thought it best to, Put on a little little thing, a little top impromptu top five for you guys. Normally speaking, we we try to plan these out and get all you guys' submissions. Um, we couldn't get everyone, but we did get everyone from our super secret, not really um, peacekeeper group, um, people that support us. 
And uh, so we got a few top fives. We've got our own. So do, and, should, we, should we do our own first or do we go to the people um, first? I'm thinking we'll save ours to the end. Okay. Maybe you know who will be here by then. Ah, uh, Voldemort. Voldemort will be here. <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Oh, boy. What a show that would so, be. So I'll take the first one. If you want to take the second yeah, one, sure, then I'll, sure. I'll, do, um, I'll do the last one. Um, so first up, we've got Mr. Jacob Damon. Um, whoever that guy is, I don't know him. Um, yeah, he's some uh, artist or something. <laughs> Does great yeah. work. Should follow him on oh, Instagram. Yeah. Fantastic work. Go follow Jake Damon. Um, uh, he has at number five, and yes, I'm re- even though you put it one to five, I'm re- reading it in reverse order because that's how we do it here. All right, <laughs> we, we we read them however we want to. Right. Um. So number five is haircut from Thor Ragnarok. You know, please, sir, don't cut my hair. Yeah. Um, you got with, Hugh with Hefner. The claw hand. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's fine. Um, and you got number four is Hugh Hefner from Iron Man. Love that one. <laughs> um, number three, bus driver in Infinity War. Love that one. Mm. Um, number two, the Watchers. That's like probably the biggest one because he has a like a like a scene in the movie and then he has a post credit scene, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of my personal favorites. Tony Stank from <laughs> from Civil War as his number one. Can't argue with that, Jake. It's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good one. All right, next up we got Steven Schinder. He gives his top five. He puts them in the proper order. Number five, Mallrats, which is not an MCU movie. It's, yeah, a, Kevin, it's right. a Kevin Smith movie. Um uh, and he rewrites in it, Stanley playing himself and using Mar- Marvel characters to give Brody Bruce relationship advice is a delight to watch and goes on for a good length of time. Number four, Spider-Man 3. You know, I guess one person really can make a difference. Enough said. Even though this f- quote referred to, uh, to Spider-Man, Stephen writes, uh, when I first saw this, I thought it could apply to Stan Lee. Number three, The Avengers. Superheroes in New York, give me a break. This line cracks me up because many Marvel superheroes are from New York. It's true. Um, Number two, this is one of my favorites. And if I had known we could go outside the MCU for our... (laughs) For our picks, hey, I we didn't we didn't address any any parameters on this one. <laughs> I might have included this one uh, from The Simpsons. Stephen writes, Stanley Stan is hilarious here. After he sets he stuffs the thing into into a Batmobile toy, he says broke or made it better, which makes me laugh because it reminds me of uh, of uh, Invader Zim. Also loves when he tr- also love when he tries turning into the Hulk. That is a great moment. <laughs> um, but my my favorite part in that is his like first reveal um because bart is showing you know comic book comic book guy you know worst ipc episode ever that guy um he's showing him this comic book that he wrote or the little comic strip he wrote and comic book guy is going oh this is terrible i don't like it it's horrendous and stan lee comes in he's like what let me see it and he sees it and he looks at it and he says something nice to Bart, and Bart says, "Oh, so you like it? You like? Well, it needs a lot of work, but you put a lot of effort into it. it you know, it gives them like sort of a pep talk, which is, you know, what creative what creative people should do when they're they're giving advice. You know, don't you know, be 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 firm, be honest, but don't try and crush people's spirits. And uh, I know it's it's the Simpsons. It's silly. It's goofy, but." Um, you know, that's, that's what I like. That's what I like to think Stan would, would always be like. And, and by all accounts was, um, and number one from Steven Schindler, guardians of the galaxy volume two, Stanley and the watchers, a cameo that seems to tie all the other cameos together and can get, and can fuel good fan fiction. (laughs) There we go. That's the top five from Steven Schindler. And and I forgot to say that has been the conclusion of this famous, famous segment, Schindler's list. Oh my God. Oh, 
That is a that is a pun. Oh my goodness. We have to say it. That's like, a, like that's a that is a pun. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. All right. We're no, just you, you going didn't right. Expect that one. Just you? going right. Going right for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah. Well, he asked for it. Like you know, mm-hmm. you know, he, he shouldn't contribute to stuff like this unless he expects puns. This is the intergalactic pun coalition. Right. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So next up, we've got our good buddy, Mister Daniel Jurjiv, or AKA Dan Grievous, and he has at number five, Fantastic Four. Rise of the Silver Surfer, and he explains, The bouncer at Reed Richards and Sue Storm's wedding does not believe Stan Lee is Stan Lee, a KKA, the cameo inspired by the comics, as the wedding happens in the issue of, of Fantastic Four, where Stan Lee is also denied entry. Oh, so it's a it's a riff on the comic. That's cool. Mm. Um, and, okay, number four, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Stan Lee and the Watchers, a.k.a. Uh, Marvel, and endorsing the fan theorists. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, basically, there was that fan theory that, oh, he's a Watcher. Well, they, they basically said, because he's referencing, if you notice, he's referencing, oh, I was a federal expense man. Yeah, yeah. And he's referencing Civil War, so like, okay, well, this guy's the same guy. Um, number three, we've got um, the amazing Spider-Man, uh, Stanley as the school librarian during the fight. I love that one. Or he's just, you know, he's totally oblivious to what's going on behind him mm-hmm. in the library. It's, it's fun. Um, num- and the music in two, that one is really good, too. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, Thor Ragnarok as his number two. Stanley as the car and barber. There you go. Mm-hmm. Got, a, got a love uh, thing. And then uh, number one. Is Stanley as himself in the series finale of the 1994 Spider-Man cartoon? I think it is a, the most touching cameo he has ever done, and an epic way to end the series with the creator meeting his creation. That's pretty um, great. And I think, yeah, I think I have seen that one. Well, I've, I've seen, I saw the clip. I watched the clip today. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Really... That's, the, I think it's that one where he, he's, he, he's in the office, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Hold on, my calls. It's Spider-Man." <laughs> <laughs> It's great. Yeah. And then uh, Dan finishes up by saying, uh, thank you for everything, Mr. Lee. You will be missed. Excelsior. Excelsior. Yep. All right. We got one really? last. We got one last list. It's uh, donated by a Zeke er- Erknacht. Zeke Erknacht. Oh, no. Of course. It's, 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 who is this guy? Of course. It's Zach Arnold. So I, I, I'm going to read his, but first I got to, I got to, I got to get into character here for a second. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Whataburger. 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 Chandler. Chandler. Rachel. Chandler. Dallas Sports. Dallas Sports. Whataburger. All right, I'm ready. Number five, I'm so, the I'm So Fired scene from Winter Soldier. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Number four, Strip Club DJ from, from Deadpool. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, number three, the haircut. That's a very popular one from Ragnarok. Number two, Tony Stank. Another very popular one. And number one, Nuff said from Spider-Man Three. Yes, it's yes. A solid, solid list there from uh, from Zach. All right, well, whoever that guy is, yeah. Like, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll hear from him later in the show. Who knows? Maybe he'll show up. Um. Okay. So we've got we've got our two lists. Yeah. And I figure we'll just go back and forth as we as we generally do. All right. And we'll start with the number five. So I'll let you go first with your number five. All right. Uh. So my number five is from. The original Thor, the first Thor movie, where he's oh, the yeah. redneck with the pickup truck. 
that tries to tries to move Thor's hammer. Um, this one's kind of special for me because it was the Thor was the first MCU movie that I saw in the theaters. I'd missed all of oh, them up yeah. until that point. And it was just right around the, the same time I was really sort of getting into um, fandom outside of Star Wars and, and Harry Potter. And so it was the first time I sort of could see a Stan Lee cameo and go, whoa, oh, my God, that's that's him. Because there were I, like other ones. And, and there's another one on my list that when I saw that movie, these older movies, I just thought of some old guy. I didn't realize it, there were the added significance to it, and uh, I'll talk specifically about one of those in a, in a little bit. But number number five, Stanley is the redneck trying to mute, move Mjolnir in Thor. Yeah, meow, yeah, meow. That that's that's my that's my pronunciation. It's <laughs> a good I one. backwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so my number five is from the second Thor movie. All right. Um, the one where uh, Dr. Selvig is seemingly teaching a class, but is actually in a uh, nursing home, a St. Asylum, something like that. Um, and he's giving this you know, speech or whatever. And any questions? Yeah, can I have my shoe back? <laughs> right. Probably, probably the best moment in that movie. Ting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize we were doing cinema since this week. Um, <laughs> Uh, for me, number four is in Captain America, the first Avenger, when they're doing the like, I don't know if it's a press conference or a, an appearance, and there's a bunch of generals uh, waiting for Cap to show up, and the guy makes the big introduction, ladies and gentlemen, Captain America! And Cap doesn't come out. Instead, some like little bald guy comes out and whispers in the the presenter's ear, like you know, saying like Cap's not going to be here. And then it cuts to the audience, and one of the generals is Stan, and he says, "I thought he'd be taller." That uh, one always cracks me up. It's he always nails the line delivery. He has one line, he nails it. Yeah, always, always. Uh, um, speaking of another one liner, actually has a couple lines in this one. Um, my number four is from Spider Man Homecoming. Mm. Um, the one where you know, Sp- you know, Peter Parker, he's swinging around. He seemingly have a good, good, good day. Tries to stop a would-be uh, burglar, someone trying to break into a car. Nope, it's just somebody trying to get in their car, and he screws it all up. And he makes the whole neighborhood mad at him. And one of the per- people that is yelling at him from the window is Mr. Stanley. Don't make me come down there, you punk! <laughs> I always love. I always forget about that scene, but it always cracks me up when it comes on. Oh man. Uh number 3 for me uh is his cameo in Age of Ultron. Oh yeah, when that. they're at the Avengers party. Now, Age of Ultron not my favorite movie, but and the Avengers party scene kind of embodies some of the things that are wrong with that movie, but it also gave us this great moment where Thor is describing the drink he has, he's brought with him and uh, he's saying why well, it's not it's not suitable for Earthlings. And Stanley, playing an old World War II vet, says, "Yeah, well, neither was Omaha Beach. Hand it over." And Thor hands it over to him. Stan has a swig, and then it cut to a little bit later, and he's drunker than drunk, and uh, he's walking, being led away, and he goes, "Excelsior!" <laughs> I love. It. He finally got to have his little catchphrase yeah. in a movie. It's fantastic. Which is great. And, and albeit, you know, he was drunk, but you know, still. Hey. Got it in there. Got it in there. Got it. Um, okay, my number three is from a movie that I have yet to see, actually. What? Deadpool 2. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, okay. yeah. See, it's not it's not the MCU, so I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, yeah, right. But but um, I don't see. That's the thing. I don't know if this is from the movie because it's in the trailer, and I don't know if the tr- that scene in the trailer is in the movie because I haven't seen it yet. But I it still qualifies because it's a cameo, and it's in a, the first teaser trailer for Deadpool two, and Deadpool is in the the. Uh, in the phone booth yep. and he's, he, he gets, you know, changed. He runs out and, you know, uh, St. Elmo's fire is playing. And then uh, he, of course, Stanley is standing on the street corner. And he's like, Hey, nice suit. And Deadpool goes, zip it, Stanley. And just <laughs> runs off. And it's like, like, of course, Deadpool is just going to be like, no, no, Stanley. No, stop it. Right. Of course. He, of course he is. Of course he is. He's Deadpool. Um, so my number two is from my favorite, marvel movie um and so maybe it gets a little bit of a of an added oomph because it's from that movie but it's from winter soldier stan as the museum security guard uh who comes in after cap has stole his old uh his old uniform and he just goes i am so fired (laughs) (laughs) love it love it love it love it love it love it okay so my number two is from my favorite marvel movie um and it is the uh, little – it's the bus scene from Infinity War mm. where he is uh, – you know, he's driving the bus. As as you can totally see Stanley being a bus driver. Mm. Yeah. So so he's, you know, in there and, and it just – it drives home the idea like this is normal for yeah. this this universe that like, oh, yeah, spaceship, whatever. I, wrong with you kids haven't you seen a spaceship before like it's <laughs> normal like another alien invasion ah, don't worry about it yeah same old um, same old yeah <laughs> so i love that little moment it's a great moment all but stanley just adds to the moment oh definitely um and my number one again maybe not necessarily from my favorite marvel movie but it's my favorite stanley cameo it's uh one that's been on a lot of people's lists uh the spider-man 3 scene where he says to peter parker i guess one person can make a difference enough said and as i said earlier this when i first saw this movie did not know who stan lee was did not understand the like deeper meaning to it i just thought it was some old guy complimenting spider-man to peter parker and making him feel good without uh without realizing what he was actually saying uh and yet little did i know that there's so much of a deeper meaning behind it and it, it really is a a beautiful little scene in an otherwise pretty horrendous movie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a very long time, but it's also my number one. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Because we I go. saw the Same clip, I'm like, Z's. this is the best. It is so great, and it was so profound for the day. And it was also on some other guy's list, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, it was on, uh, let's see, whose list? Who, other, who else's list was this on? Um, where was it? It was the number one of that it, Zachary guy. Yeah, it was on that Zachary guy's list. Also number four on on Steven's list. Um, speaking of that 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 Zachary guy, I do I hear something in the background in the distance? Is there a monster? Oh, sounds like sounds like a, a like Whataburger come to life. <laughs> Sorry, that was my burrito. Ah, uh, should have been a Whataburger. Should've it been a- should have been, but that would have made me even later to the show because the drive-through was literally seven cars deep. Yikes. Man. It's yeah. popular on a Friday night, kind of like me. Hey. Hey oh. Just hey. just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not popular any time of day or night. So well, it is what it is. You're popular with us, damn it. 
There are you know, people listening to this. You know that that reminds me of that that episode of Friends. Every everything <laughs> reminds me of an episode of Friends. <laughs> oh, so you missed you missed it, Zach. I read your top five Stan Lee things, and I had uh-huh. to, at first I had to get into character as you. <laughs> oh dear! I, I thought it was you there at first, but. <laughs> No, okay. I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got a reason behind every one of those those lists, but I'm, I appreciate you getting getting them in there because uh, it, it 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 it's one of those things where Stanley's just kind of grown on me over time, and he was one of those people that I kind of had on my celebrity bucket list that I wished I I had an opportunity to meet, mm. and now I no longer have that opportunity, and that's probably one of the sadder personal things about this. But then for the universe as a whole. You know, he created such an amazing, amazing universe and, and with such vivid imagination that inspired other people's imaginations that, you know, his impact is going to be felt for years and years to come. Oh, oh mm-hmm. totally. I could, couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, I tried to and you just said it better than I could than I did. It's just something that's been on my mind ever since I got the news, you know? Yeah. Same here. Same here. It was it was um it was actually the the birthday of one of my professors and i follow her on social media and she was like i refuse to believe that this happened on my birthday i refuse Mm. it did not happen and i feel really bad for for people like that now because you know this day is going to live on in infamy and it may end up you know overshadowing other days like birthdays now because this is the day that the great Stan Lee left this world and went to the next one. Indeed. So it was it was a sad one, but You will be missed. So have you guys discussed the theory about what they're going to do next? No. I don't believe. Okay. So with the with the beauty of motion capture, some people believe that they have just digitized Stan Lee's uh, essence and has found a way to, you know, maintain his cameos throughout what could be another 10 oh. to 12 movies or more, depending on how many cameos he's already shot, which apparently they do them in clusters. Mm-hmm. So he's already got several more cameos taken care of out of the way. Not sure exactly how many, but I would venture to guess at least three to four. And then there's thoughts that motion capture could just continue that indefinitely. There's another theory, and I I rather hold to this one because I think it would be respectful of the comics, respectful of Stan Lee, and also just be funny as hell. People are pitching for Ryan Reynolds (laughs) to make those cameos in full Deadpool costume with Stan Lee glasses on. And just act like fake mustache glasses. And just act like nothing is different. And it's just Deadpool in Deadpool costume with a Stanley, you know, get up on doing the same lines that Stanley usually does, but it's Deadpool. I began. Can I say I hope neither of those things happen? I hope they retire the Stanley cameo after whatever the last one is that he shot. Here here's here's my idea. Here's here's what I want to happen. I think you can continue having Stanley in these movies, but it doesn't have to be you can do it in other ways. Like take for example the Netflix shows. They've never actually had Stanley in them, but he'll show up on pictures on the wall or 
billboards, advertisements, stuff like that. I hope they do it like that. Yeah, he did show I, I'd like up. that. He he did show up for the trailer for the Defenders. Yeah, you're right. He did. And honestly, that if I if I could come up with like an honorable mention, that trailer would probably be my honorable mention because he's got some pretty inspiring stuff that they wrote for him, and it's really really well shot. Uh, actually, it's probably better shot than 90% of the actual Defenders TV series. <laughs> well, he's a great, like, he's known a lot for, he narrated a lot of stuff from back in the day, you know, cartoons and stuff like that. Um, right. He really should have got him to narrate all the Marvel trailers mm. um, because yeah. he's that good. But, um, yeah, I like that trailer a lot. And I think I think the Defenders did it great where they just kind of they snuck him in here and there. And you know you could keep doing that, but you don't have to be so blatant about it. I think like I'd love to see Deadpool like realistically like I'd love to see Deadpool just do his own thing, and you know be uh, you know hopefully he'll make it in the MCU and he'll 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 get to drop the one f bomb in the MCU, um <laughs> in every movie because they're allowed that PG thirteen yeah of course um and uh, and then you can you know like. I think CGIing him just it it gets creepy. I think just you know just do it through pictures and stuff like that would be great. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I I think pictures, murals, things like that. Um, the Deadpool thing could maybe work in Deadpool three, but I don't want to see that start popping up in other. Uh, in you can other do it Marvel, once. Marvel do it things, once yeah. in Deadpool three. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but otherwise. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think the sort of literal cameo should be retired with the passing of of Stan. Agree. There's probably a multitude of different ways that people want to pay their respects, but I think social media mm-hmm. has kind of come to an agreement that whenever they do finally say like in memorial of Stan Lee or something and post, you know, the his his years of life underneath it. I have a very strong feeling that I'm going to lose it in the theater just a little bit. Because mm. yeah. even though all he did was make cameos in the movies, all he did was create the universe that inspired those movies in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's his his absence is going to be felt in more ways than one. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, put, it, sure. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. Sure. So, I mean, not not the, the happiest of news but probably the top billing as far as uh, the tr- the tributes go. I mean, man, we've said goodbye to a lot of celebrities since... Too many. Since IPC started in 2014, we have had to say goodbye to a lot of people, namely uh, Robin Williams. Uh, Leonard Chris- Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, Christopher Lee, uh, now Stan Lee. I mean... The list just goes on and on, man, and it's it's really sad. Uh, and they they say that celebrities kind of of pass on in threes, and we got Stan Lee, and then I found out that the the lady who played um, the the general store owner's wife on Little House on the Prairie, she passed away uh, oh, wow. yesterday, I believe. Uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head for the life of me, but. Uh, I used to watch Little House on the Prairie when I was younger, and that lady pestered me up the wall to no end. She was very snooty and pretentious, but from what I heard off the set, she was a very sweet, loving, caring lady. And so uh, I think 
I think her absence, and then there was a WWE superstar. I think that also passed away. So I don't, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you would count that as celebrity status. I know our friend Armando might ca- classify that as as a, as a celebrity absence, but I, it just it just sucks that that you lose people like that and you have to to say goodbye. You know what would be really cool was if we had like time traveling abilities, and we could post like happy birthdays to a future legend or something like that, you know? Like, if we could tell that this particular child that was born on this particular day was going to grow up to win an Oscar or win the Super Bowl or something like that, then we'd be all, we'd be able to say, like, oh, hey, keep an eye out for this name in 22 years because somebody is going to win an Oscar. Like, that would be cool as heck. Instead of having to just say goodbye to so many famous people, we could be, like, saying hello to people that are on the rise. Well, I, I think, honestly, speaking of time travel and the eventual invention of it, which it'll it'll probably happen at some point, like, that's what it's probably going to be used for, is they're going to be, like, that they won't need CGI. They'll just go back in time and get an actor from the past like they'll like go back hey humphrey bogart hey we're in a time machine let's go do a movie in 2021 <laughs> why did you pick humphrey bogart just the oldest actor i can think of at the top off the top of my head okay and see why, i was thinking why let's bring <laughs> let's let's bring back the duke let's have john wayne in a modern western maybe maybe that'll be that'll be cool uh Speaking of, of time and time's advancement, there is some other news that uh, is actually rather groundbreaking because for the first time in 24 years, 24 years, Sony and PlayStation will not be appearing at E3 next year in 2019. E. Oh. 24 years since that's last happened. Uh, a spokesperson from PlayStation said they are going to be exploring new and familiar ways to engage the community in 2019. So obviously Microsoft and Xbox have kind of hit the social media and they're, they're really teasing the heck out of Sony being like, Hey, we can't wait to see you at E3 in 2019. Oh, we're so excited to see our fans at E3 in 2019. But there's a lot of speculation also on social media that the reason that they are abstaining from E3 is because they may be holding their own press conference to announce the release or the coming release of the PlayStation 5. Oh, that would be interesting. So there, there's no confirmation yet. It's just speculation. But, I mean, I, I don't recall exactly how they announced the PS4, but I feel like they probably did something similar. Not necessarily, you know, not going to E3, but potentially making that announcement in-house and making it a really big deal. So there's probably something on the horizon. I don't feel like Sony and PlayStation are are on the back burner of the gaming community right now. Obviously, that Spider-Man game was huge, widely popular, very well received. So if there is to be anything, I feel like it's going to be some sort of a step forward. And the likely step that they would take, aside from maybe some kind of, you know, uh, easier to purchase VR system, would be the PS5. It seems that that would make sense to be coming pretty soon, or within the next few years. I don't know. I don't know what 
PlayStation or Sony's game is right now. But uh, you know that that is interesting. After so many years of doing tradition of that, I don't know. I guess they just don't. They have. I know EA's been not doing it either. I don't think they've had EA Play as a thing that's been outside E3 or outside other conventions. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if E3 is just not worth it for some companies or they have the plans or whatever, but it is it's telling how how you know seemingly the biggest convention seemed like everyone wanted in on A3, but nah, not really. Well, and I mean, Marvel didn't show up to, what was it, San Diego Comic-Con? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, I, I not, think, it's yeah. not uncommon for popular franchises to stay away from a really popular event in order to avoid spoilers and build the hypes. So I'm not necessarily surprised by this news. I'm just more curious than anything to see what's next. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. I mean, they've obviously got something cooking, but, you know, what could it be? And, you know, why are, why are they not willing to share it just yet? I guess time will tell. See, you will. It, it relates to time travel. I bet there are some yeah. big gaming fans that want to jump into the future to find out why this is happening. So, or I, jump into the future to find out what we're discussing tonight. Oh, yeah. Well, they're going to have to jump maybe another two minutes or so, because uh, honestly, I feel like we just need to talk about this movie in its entirety from beginning to end. So if you're good with this, let's go ahead and hop into our ad break real quick. And we'll just we'll just hit the pause button right here. I know I just got here, but I'll take a couple of swigs of water while we're waiting. And we'll go to a program identification and commercial break, and we'll see you on the flip side. And tonight's discussion is Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. We'll talk about that right after this. This is IPC. That is holiday music you're listening to in the background, but don't change that dial just yet. This is Arash from The Sith List, and I'm here to talk to you about the Kessel Toy Run, Episode 2. Join forces this holiday season, like we did last holiday season, and get together and donate a new Star Wars gift to a hospitalized child and family unable to spend the holidays at home. Now, our boy Brandon setting this up. He did it last year, and he did an amazing job. And the gifts were just unbelievable. Got out to so many wonderful kids that are spending their holidays not at home. Toy Drive is going to go from October 15th through December 20th. And all you have to do is go to Amazon.com and under account, click on find a list or registry. Go to search and I want you to put in the Kessel Toy Run at gmail.com. Then you click wish list. Choose your items slash items you'd like to buy. Then send your selection to the address, which I'm going to give right now. Send it to Brandon Manriquez. P.O. Box 7232, Long Beach, California, 90807. Now, if you don't want to use Amazon, it's all good too. If you want to go to Walmart or you want to go to Target, and you want to find a gift on your own, just send your items to 
the address that I listed, and that's Brandon Manriquez, P.O. Box 7232, Long Beach, California, 90807. So you might be asking, how is Brandon going to distribute all this by himself? Well, he is. He's got some help. Toys will be distributed by the Child Life Program at Miller Children's and Women's. Also, our friends, the Rogue Rebels, and Saber Guild Temple Prime. When you make that selection, I want you to go on Twitter and tag at Making Star Wars and also tag us at The Sith List, but I definitely want you to tag at Kessel Toy Run. That's at symbol T-H-E-K-E-S-S-E-L-T-O-Y-R-U-N. And are you in? Oh, hell yeah, you're in, because this is a great thing to do. It's the holiday season. Let's put a smile on these kids' faces. This is what fandom is all about. Guys, thank you, and I can't wait to see what you guys get for these wonderful kids. We are back here on the IPC podcast discussing fantastic beasts and where to find them. Now, I have a feeling this may end up being a movie full of hot takes. So before we get to that and before we discuss this uh, this movie in its entirety, let's just go ahead and go to first impressions, overall thoughts, that sort of thing. Uh, Dominic, you're our resident Harry Potter universe expert, I'll, I'll let you lead off. What did you make of Fantastic Beasts when you first saw it, and what do you make of it now? Uh, yeah, I, I remember when it was first announced, I was sort of curious about it. I was like, oh, what, what could this be? This could be a, a fun way to spend more time in this world, in this wizarding world. Um, and then as the trailers started to come out, I'm like, yeah, this this feels like a lot of fun. It feels like it could be really good. And then um, they held a bunch of like fan events where you could go and see the first 10 minutes of the movie and they also like uh there's like a satellite Q&A with JK Rowling and and a couple of the actors involved and I went to that and that's where I really sort of started to get excited for it because it uh, the first 10 minutes it was like seeing it felt so much like a Harry Potter movie in the way that it was shot and the the sort of the story it was telling but it also felt very different and it, it didn't feel 
it, it felt like something new and something that could be really exciting and fun. Um, and so I went and saw it opening night and I, I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, uh, is it the, the greatest movie ever made? No. Um, but in terms of just sort of being a fun little spin-off adventure in the Potter world, I think it's, it, it does that job very well. It's a nice sort of way to spend some more time in the wizarding world to find out more about it, to see some of the, the flourishes that we didn't get the chance to see in, in the Harry Potter universe or in the Harry Potter story. Um, and, uh, I, I think it's best. I think it would have been best and probably is still best, um, to think about this movie as a one-off rather than part of a, part of a series. And, and in, in a sense, I wish it could have, uh, remained a one-off uh rather than have it be followed up with four other sequels that may or may not actually focus on on uh what i enjoyed about the first one um and and so i i really enjoy it um i i would sort of compare it to um solo in terms of what it is to what solo is to the star wars universe it's a a, a fun little side story in in the in the universe, it doesn't doesn't do a ton to uh, you know expand the main story, but it kind of plays in some of the corners that you only had a ch- only had a little tiny chance for in the main in, in the main story. And, and then, of course, there's a a, t- a reveal at the end that sort of is supposed to set up a big sequel that will tie it in directly with uh, <laughs> with that main story, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but I think I, I really like the characters. I think. Uh, Eddie Eddie Redmayne's a lot of is, is a really sort of interesting and different sort of protagonist with Newt. Uh, Dan Fogler I think is hilarious and he's somebody that I've, I've adored since fanboys. Um, Catherine Waterston I think was was really good and Alison Sudol uh, had a really sort of fun. Um, there's a real sort of core. There's a real like heart and 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 soul to that character that um, you wouldn't maybe expect when she first starts talking and I really. Uh, really enjoyed the really really enjoy it and and i think it's it's a really fun one-off movie well i i don't know why but for some reason i was expecting you to trash it a bit more than that no no wait two weeks from now it'll be a different story but no not 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 this one not this one i i i think fantastic beasts one is a really enjoyable one-off movie. So I take it you've seen Fantastic Beasts 2 already? Yep. Interesting. Interesting. I, I've just now seen Where to Find Them like two days ago, and I've you been working a lot. It. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I just found Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I just got that. Okay. It's been one of those days. <laughs> um, I only saw the, the first one maybe like two days ago. It's very fresh on my mind, and I'll try and get to see it, see the second one over the Thanksgiving break, hopefully, because we're going to take a little bit of time off and maybe let it simmer a little bit, just like the turkey that we're going to be eating here in the States. I don't know. Um, but I I don't I don't know why. I guess I was expecting a, a little bit more uh, this wasn't as good as it could have been type of perspective. I don't know. Ben, what did you make of it? Um, I think Dominic kind of hit it with me as far as saying that it's it's fun. It's a fun movie. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to rank too too high in my my favorite Harry Potter movies list. Um, but I think it's a fun. I think if you 
enjoy Harry Potter, if you like Harry Potter, which I do, which I enjoyed very much that entire series, I think you're going to get something out of this, and I did. And I think, like, it is, you know, it's different, it's unique, it's a different take on this universe, a different side of that universe, but at the same time it feels a little bit the same, but also a lot different. And I think it's, it's ultimately, it's just a fun little romp. And it, honestly, if I didn't already know that, as of today, that there's a sequel, and if it wasn't for that little reveal at the end, like, I would assume this is just a one-off, spin-off, you know, standalone film. It feels a lot like that. And I'm interested to see, like, where Crimes of Grindelwald goes, because this felt like a pretty complete story. And... You know, it's not it's not perfect by any means. It's not like I said, it's not like I'm not jumping up and down, but like I enjoyed it enough. And I enjoyed it just as a, you know, this is another little adventure in this universe with some different characters in a different time, a different place and getting learning a bit more about this universe. And I think, you know, standouts, of course, Newt's commander is I love his character. I think he's great. And Eddie, Man- Eddie Redmayne is just, he's brilliant. Like, and he just, the way he plays him is fantastic. Um, I love Jacob. I love, I love all the characters. And I think they're, you know, they're unique to the story. It's not about trying to recreate the Harry Potter story in a different format. It's doing something a bit different. That's what I, can, I, that's what I appreciate about it, that it's different. It's unique. It's exploring a different corner of this universe, the Fantastic Beasts. And it definitely hold strong on showing you these beasts and it, it, it lives up to the name and i think that's his strong points and maybe we'll get into some weak points i think some of you guys may have them um but uh overall i enjoyed it well that seems to be the consensus for this movie then uh, i was i was rather surprised by that um there, there's definitely things that you could pick apart about this movie if you wanted to but I, I don't know. It's it's either the charisma of the characters or the whimsy of the storytelling. There's just something about it that makes me not want to pick this movie apart. Uh-huh. And and I, I, I don't really know how to quantify it or, or how to describe that. And that's what baffles me about this movie is most of the time I can get pretty critical. I can look at something and go, oh, I did not like this. Oh, I did not care for this. But... Uh-huh. From the the opening to the very very end, where where he's he's getting on the boat heading back to England, mm-hmm. you know, or 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 the or even the 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 bakery at the very end, the very very end, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there there's very little about this movie where I sit there and go, oh, they really went there, didn't they? Everything seems to fit yeah. within the context of the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. Um. And and that's part of what makes it so fun. And and maybe this is actually, you know, fixing slash revising some of the mistakes that I feel like cinematically Harry Potter might have gone wrong. Mm. And we'll 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 touch on we'll touch on some of those things as well. But overall, I felt like it was a very enjoyable film. And I yeah. don't say that with like an American bias saying, "Oh well, this movie was better because it was shot in the states." <laughs> America. <laughs> Right. That that's not that's not what I mean. Like it could have been shot in London, or or the or the or, the, or it could have been in in Russia. You know, we, we could have explored. <laughs> yeah, we, could have, we could have explored the breeding of Ukrainian iron bellies, and I would have enjoyed that. In Stalingrad, um, that would like, be a twist. Yeah. Well, here's here's my theory about why why it's, why this one works so well. 
is you just spent eight movies or seven books uh, with the Harry Potter uh, universe about where you have a bunch of kids who are growing up and they're going through school and they're uh, they're um, you know you're, you're sort of seeing them discover their magical abilities. In this one, it starts with all the characters having their magical abilities. There's no yes. discovery for Newt or Tina or or Queenie or. Uh, president pickery or uh, graves or, or anything like that it's it, it, they're all already wizards there's no learning yes. necessary um so you're seeing wizards in their prime and you're seeing just sort of what wizards do like what they do in this yes. this universe because you know the 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 threat of grindelwald is is out there but it's it's ostensibly peacetime whereas in, in the harry potter films especially coming off of deathly hollows and half-blood prince and order of the phoenix that's those that's pretty dark days in the wizarding world and and the dark days are about to begin again but here we're just sort of getting a a nice just just a story within that universe it doesn't feel like it has to be anything more than that you're just getting to spend time with wizards and seeing what wizards do and the types of adventures they have and i mean it's specific to to newt because it, it it relates to beasts and 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 that sort of thing and um but it's 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 it it gives you sort of it's a little a little bit of like what el- it's it's like it takes the Harry Potter universe and says okay Harry Potter happened that story happened what else happens in this universe let's just just see what else could go on and I think that's why this one works really really well and it's it, it's a lot of fun and you you don't come away from it wanting to pick it apart because it's a it's a standalone it, it, it I mean it feels like a standalone there's no sort of sense of like oh this is all building towards something um necessarily i mean it's there if if you want it but it's 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 really more just about having an adventure and that's why i sort of compare it to solo i feel very much solo kind of hits some some of those similar points it's more about the adventure than the grand story overarching multiple films yeah and that that's how that's kind of my feeling is like you get the harry potter films are this 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 big epic story and, you know, you could say like, oh, there's lower stakes in Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, excuse me, um, <laughs> because, you know, there's not as much going on and we don't know about it. But still, like, you know, Voldemort is there. You know, we know the whole deal with Harry Potter and learning him learning about this universe and him learning about his place in it. You know, that's all there. So it's definitely setting up something, whereas this one is more about just, hey, we're just going to focus on, like you said, wizards being wizards mm-hmm. and just people that are just used to living in this world and what sorry when you said wizards being wizards my first thought was wizards gonna whiz <laughs> <laughs> why didn't i say that why <laughs> i meant that was such a perfect opportunity wizards thank gonna you whiz. for interrupting me emptying me um wizards gonna whiz boy um so Anyway, anyway, um, so you, you're getting like you're just you're following Newt Scamander. He's mm-hmm. not the chosen one. He's not. He's not some great wizard, some famous wizard. He's just a dude who has, who happens to be a wizard, and he's come to America to get to to do a job or do things, and you know, and he's basically like, you know, like wizard Steve Irwin, like. He is this guy that just loves animals. He loves these beasts and even the ones that are misunderstood and people are scared of. 
and you know getting into that but also i love the aspect of not only getting like you know the aspect of a quote-unquote normal wizard and how they interact with each other and how they deal with them and the whole bureaucracy especially coming to the states and understanding that there's a completely different system and of course americans they came up with another word for muggle they can't <laughs> use muggle they got to use no badge which mm-hmm. is very much more literal um, thing which i love and but also you're getting a no match and you're getting someone who has no idea who is thing and roping them in and uh-huh. i mean there's really not many if any muggles that play a huge role in the harry potter films no so so you have jacob as this you know after all these movies still a new concept to have a muggle no match in these in the story and have a play a part in it and through that you can kind of be the if someone hasn't seen a harry potter movie they can be jacob is kind of the the understanding character that he's the guy going what's this what's that what's all this to understand what this universe is and there is even still some of that because this is a new country there's different there's a bit different like i said bureaucracy stuff like that so i love that they it's it's toned down it's lower stakes and it's just a fun little story and yes, there is Grindelwald is there, and there is this impending doom that is coming. There's this threat, but it's not overbearing on the movie. It's just about telling the story with these beats about Newt, Newt's, you know, quest for you know helping these beasts and letting them out. And you know, he's not perfect. Sometimes they get out, and sometimes they don't. But whatever. Um, I just think it's it's a fun story. Yeah, exactly. So so you guys have hit on two of the of the big notes that I wanted to to make mention of about this movie. It's some of the praises that I wanted to to dish out on Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Number one is how common magic is used and discussed. Yeah. That that was one thing that I wished I had seen more from even the professors at Hogwarts, mm. like I wish magic had been a bit more commonplace instead of such a taboo topic while you're learning about it. It's like you shouldn't even be practicing it unless you're in the classroom. Like it was just it was very sterile to a certain degree. Magic was very sterile. And and yes, you're learning about it as the students are learning about it. But it takes years before magic becomes commonplace. Whereas with this movie, you jump right into it head first with certain spells and, and certain uh, moments where magic is just happening or, mm-hmm. or something, something in the case of Jacob where you're like, you did obliviate him, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're just discussing it. It's just common practice. If, if a, if a nomad finds you out and, and, and you have to do something about it. Common practice is to obliviate him before something goes wrong. Like those are the things that Harry Potter missed out on because we're so busy watching him learn how to be the chosen one that he hardly gets to use his powers until very, very late in the game. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this one, it's common. Yes. The rules are different, but the concept of magic is common practice. And it's so interesting that even something as simple as your briefcase has to be muggle protected. You know, I love, I love, and, and he, I love he, the little lock on it. This is muggle worthy. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. Like, it's so good. You, you have to put, you have to, it's like, it's like a child's safety lock for no matches. Yeah. It's so good. 
And and it's just those kinds of things that I really really enjoyed. I really enjoyed seeing, you know, the the hesitation, the very slight hesitation in in whipping out your wand mm. or or trying to to cast some sort of a spell under your breath in order to exert your influence over somebody. Or, you know, just how large and impressive something like Makuza was. You know, they're mm. proud of their magic, they're proud of their heritage even though they feel like they have to be undercover right now because of people like the Second Salemers, whom we're going to get to in just a bit. Mm. You know, there, there's some conflict about magic versus no magic still going on. And whereas in, in Harry Potter, it's just like, oh yeah, there's magic, but it's kept separate. And it's almost like segregation to a certain degree, like separate but equal kind of. Mm. Yeah. Where, whereas in, in this, it's like, oh, we don't, talk about it we are in hiding and how do you express that pride how do you express your power if you feel like you need to hide those are certain things that they kind of touch on and explore in this film which i appreciated and then the second thing jacob kowalski (laughs) yeah where the hell was he for the last eight movies Well, we given given the okay. amount of time between Fantastic Beasts and and Harry Potter and um, the average life expect, expectancy of a human, dead probably. <laughs> probably. Thank you, <laughs> Lieutenant Literal. <laughs> His character, though, was mm. great. Yeah, for those who have never experienced magic before. For those who maybe didn't jump onto the Harry Potter bandwagon, but they wanted to see Fantastic Beasts. If you have no clue what's going on, you don't know what Obliviate means, you don't know what certain spells mean, you, you don't really know what, um, what... What was it? It was... What do you call it? An Obscurus? Yeah, yeah, the if, Obscurus, yeah. If, if, if you don't know what an Obscurus is... You're getting to explore elements of the magical world through the eyes of a commoner like yourself. Yeah, I mean Jacob. I, the thing, the thing I would comp- or the the type of character I would compare Jacob to is like the companion on Doctor Who. You know, they're the person there to yeah. ask all the questions yeah. and kind of go, "Hey, what is that?" Um, and, and yeah, you know, you need that in a, in a story like this because as we sort of laid out there, um, Harry Harry Potter was like a learning experience. Like every you were following Harry in his adventures through his discovery of his power and what this world was and that sort of thing. Now that you're just entrenched in the world and your main character, Newt, is somebody who has lived their entire life in that world, you need somebody there to, like you said, Zach, to ask the questions, to, to be the, the eyes and ears of the, of the new viewer who, doesn't, who isn't necessarily um, familiar with the Harry Potter films that have come before. And, and I mean, Dan Fogler just does it to perfection he's so funny but he's got such such a such a big heart um jake like how do you not love jacob you i mean it's it's hard not to i i considered him i mean i can a companion is is a really good way to look at it but i also saw him as like the foil if you will Mm. like like the the foil or the or the comedic straight man like everything kind of happens through him to a certain degree like He's really kind of the unsung star of this movie because he is not supposed to be experiencing the things that he's going through. Uh-huh. He's not supposed to be 
meeting people like Tina and Queenie. He's not supposed to be able to see things like the TARDIS briefcase that he steps into. (laughs) (laughs) But he does. He does get to experience those things. He does get to have that sense of wonder. And he does get to play off of everybody else and the craziness that's happening around him. I think one of my favorite moments in the entire scene was when Newt is causing havoc in the jewelry store trying to get back one of his creatures and the police show up and they've got guns pointing on them. They've literally got jewelry draping off of their clothes because of this chase and he points down the street and he goes, they went that way, officer. That's so good. Like, honestly, dude, you think anybody's going to believe that? But at the same time, it made me laugh. I know. I I enjoyed his character. He was he was a foil that the Harry Potter universe has needed for the last eight movies. And we finally get to relate to a muggle that is, you know, experiencing magic for the very first time. Uh Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's such a nice uh such a fun sort of twist on uh on on the universe that we've that we came to know over those eight eight films and seven books Mm -hmm. yeah no and and i'm not not trying to take anything away from from the literary works by any means no no, no, yeah for sure it's it's just maybe it's a personal storytelling preference maybe instead of learning about magic as a student i just wanted to learn about magic as a regular person sure and and to and to immerse myself the way Jacob immersed himself head first, just experiencing it because of circumstance, not because he got a letter from an owl that came down his chimney. You know, it, it's just it's it's just one of those things where I liked what happened to Jacob, and I liked the way that his story kind of came full circle to a certain degree. And and you're right. The way that this movie is is constructed, there's the potential to come up with a sequel, but at the same time, you could just be like, "Oh, X Y Z happened. Go to the credits. We're done." Yeah. So I mean, as as a standalone, as a movie that just is by itself, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I I do see the potential for other elements to be included because you know when newt was being interrogated they made an albus dumbledore reference excuse me i got my tongue tied a little bit (laughs) um they they talk about ilvermorny versus uh hogwarts in one point so you know you're you're getting some references and then at one point didn't one of the lestranges get mentioned like a lestrange ancestor Lita lestrange yeah so yeah. Lita Strange got mentioned at one point, and so you you're remembering Bellatrix's lineage. You know, there's there's just certain things that remind you you're in the same universe, uh-huh. but at the same time lets you go off on an adventure that you really never would have gotten to have in the Harry Potter storyline. Everything's so fixated on Harry versus Voldemort that you don't really get to have those little sidesteps. But mm-hmm. Fantastic Beasts lets you do that, and it does it in a very creative and fun and whimsical way that's got a very happily ever after type of sensation to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it yeah. really does. It's uh, I had a thought and I lost it. Hold on. <laughs> I need a pensive over here. 
Um, yeah. I, hey, move on. Move on. Keep the, keep the well, discussion going. Well, I forgot. While, while, while you're thinking of it, I've, I've got one counterpoint that, that I want to make to, to, to Ben because mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, a few moments ago that you equate Nukes, Newt Scamander to uh, Steve Irwin of Magic. Is that is that essentially <laughs> yes, that, correct? That, that, that was my comparison. Okay, I have another comparison for you, and I, I want you to uh, to think back to the 1960s, if you can. I know you weren't there personally. Yeah, I don't really have any memories of those, but yeah, but there I'll, was, I'll roll with it. There was a certain movie, and actually it's very, very tied into Star Wars, believe it or not. Um, do you remember the actor Rex Harrison by any chance? Oh, I recognize the name. Why can't I place the face? So he played Professor Higgins in My Fair Lady, the musical. Oh, okay. And he was on stage as well. Um, There was one actor, I want to say it was, shoot, I can't remember his name, but it was a very famous actor at the time, Gregory Peck, I think. I think they went to Gregory Peck and asked him to play uh, Professor Higgins in My Fair Lady, and he said, I wouldn't even go to the movie theater if you didn't cast Rex Harrison for the part. Like, he was that iconic. But before he landed the role of Professor Higgins, he had another role of a certain animal whisperer by the name of Dr. Doolittle. Oh, okay. The original, the OG Doctor. The OG Doctor Doolittle, not the Eddie Murphy version, because those movies were shite. But oh, you, come, come off it, they were great. If you go back and you watch the original '60s Doctor Doolittle with Rex Harrison, it is such a cute, whimsical, fun movie about a veterinarian that is learning how to speak to animals not just understand them or take care of them but to speak to them and he's got it all the way down to the gestures like you you neigh and you shake your right front leg in order to say good morning or something like that like it is it is such a cute movie and when i watched the way newt you know, talks to the animals and the way that he tries to take care of them, the way that um, he he's given names to so many of them. You know, he really, really cares for them on on a personal level, not just as like an owner or something, but he's gotten the calls down to the point that he just understands what he's dealing with and does his best to interact and communicate with them. When I saw that, one of my first instincts was that Newt Scamander is essentially a Doctor Doolittle of magic. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that, and he definitely, he just, he, and, and it's a very obvious, like, li- like, you know, translation. Like I said, Steve Irwin, who is kind of a, a real world one, and Doctor Doolittle, who was kind of a more fictional one, but the same mm-hmm. concept of, you know. And and Steve Irwin, that's one of my main comparisons. There is like Steve Irwin was all about making helping people understand like you know terrifying animals like crocodiles and snakes and all this kind of stuff that people are just scared to death of, and helping people like understand them better and like hey you know 
they're not all bad. Like, you know, they're they're help helping him like you don't you you can respect them more than you can, you know, be scared of them and you know, and it all plays into the plot here which is, you know, these things start happening and ultimately it's blamed on the beasts. It's blamed on these these attacks and you know, it's all about kind of the PR of like, hey, you know, the beasts aren't to blame for this and they shouldn't be, you know, they should, you know, they're not all bad. And that's how you, you get that. That's the great scene, the first scene inside the suitcase where they're just going through and Jacob is there and you're just introducing all these animals. Like there's some of them are huge and they're terrifying, but they're also like, it's just wondrous. And it and it speaks to like, it's kind of the, the whole movie personified in this like just this wondrous thing that you keeps going and going where you're, you know, you're enthralled by them. You're not, it's not scary. It's, it's entertaining. It's, it's, you know, they're, you're, they're just, they're magnificent beasts. They're fantastic beasts. That they are. I see, I see what you did there. <laughs> Rolled into that one. Yeah. You had a, you had a, you had a pretty solid monologue there. So before we stray, too far away do you guys want to hear the connection between dr doolittle and star wars sure yo so dr doolittle was a production of 20th century fox so there's your there's your there's your tie-in right there but i believe uh i'm gonna i'm gonna try and look it up really quickly but i believe it was released either in the late 60s or the early 70s and it was a bit of a gamble because at that time musicals were kind of on their way out Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the producers thought this may not go very well but we're gonna try it anyway and they they invested a lot of money into into this movie it was it was released in 1967 so they they invested a lot of money into this movie and they did not make up what they put into it in fact the financially the movie panned so much that it almost closed down 20th century fox studios entirely wow it was just a bomb financially now it's it's gotten a little bit better of a reputation over time just because now that the eddie murphy movies are out people are like no and they'll go back to the original one from 67 but it was just not not very well received at the theaters it was not very critically acclaimed and they ended up losing bukus of cash on it and if 20th Century Fox had filed for bankruptcy around 68, 69. They would not have been able to put money into Star Wars in 75, 76 and release it in 77. True. Very true. So if Dr. Doolittle had bombed the way critics said that it did, Star Wars might never have happened. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, that's a there's your little fun factoid about Doctor Doolittle that we weren't expecting to have during a Fantastic Beasts discussion. <laughs> but it is what it is. Jeez. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, the scene in the bank, 
shall we? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the zaniness that happened in this movie. And yet at the same time, in the midst of the zany action that goes on, there's still some legitimate action and some some very, very fun visual effects that gets included, uh, especially at the end of the movie, where you're like, okay, is this supposed to be a whimsical adventure or is this supposed to be more like an action adventure? You kind of get a little bit of both in this movie, and that's Definitely, one of the things yeah. that I that I like about this. But the bank scene is just so interesting because because Newt is in there trying to round everybody back up essentially and jacob is well, in there trying to get alone he's trying to round one guy uh back up in particular mm-hmm. then i i just gotta say i didn't mean to cut you off zach the niffler is one of the greatest additions to uh the harry potter universe that this uh, yes that this uh this film gives us and uh you were saying where was Jacob Kowalski in the previous eight movies? I want. I'm wondering where was where were where were Nifflers? Why weren't they running around during all uh, all the previous installments? I I thought that was of all the of all the Fantastic Beasts, he's the most fantastic. I love him. I love him so much. He's got the greediness of a seagull because seagulls go for shiny objects the way he does, mm. but also got the pricklers and the snoot of an echidna (laughs) have you gentlemen ever seen echidnas before no i haven't oh my gosh these are some of the weirdest looking creatures because they are um the only reason i know about is because my brother's a nature buff but they are one of only two known animals to uh, both lay eggs and give milk. Oh, okay. They oh. are they are they are egg laying mammals, and the only other creature like them is the duckbill platypus. Yeah, I see. I I thought of it. It reminded me more of a platypus because I wasn't really familiar with the this this other. Oh guy. yeah, I've seen one of these before. Hmm. Apparently there's one at the San Diego Zoo and I'm kind of pissed because I was in San Diego back in July and I didn't see one of these. Oh. I also did not see the fusa that they had because it was hot and they were all tucked up underneath the rocks. I wanted to like post a picture and then like do a caption from Madagascar and be like <laughs> the fusa, the fusa are attacking, run for your lives. But but no. Of course not. I didn't even get to see very many lemurs. The the most lemurs that I saw uh, were the stuffed ones that they were selling in the gift shop. <laughs> I was I was rather perturbed by that. I paid fifty five dollars to go see a bunch of animals, and the most impressive one that I saw was a panda that was on loan from the Chinese government. Hmm. It was still fun, but I wish I could have seen some of those other animals. Sure. And you know, I heard I've heard the 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 San Diego bank was just completely cleaned out the other day. I wonder. <laughs> They could be connected. Uh, oh, it could be. You never know with uh, with Niffler. Seriously, seriously, Niffler. Like that's a dangerous animal. Like <laughs> you set one of those loose. Like did you see clean, him like tickle him and then like all of a sudden jewelry starts popping out? I was like, I know what? it's like he just like he, he just like starts. 
you know, it, well, the, it's everywhere. Like, how many thousands of pounds of like gold does he get? How well, can he get the the best the best Niffler moment though, in my opinion, is later at the jewelry shop where the Niffler's in the window trying to pose <laughs> <laughs> with the jewels. He's got his arm out. Yeah, and Newt walks past, and the the frame the camera just holds on the Niffler, and then Newt backs up. <laughs> Just stares at the Niffler. Very and well there's, shot. There's that moment where they like make eye contact, and then it just goes crazy from there. Uh, that that I, scene is so great, and it's just like it's one of those scenes like it's just this delicious destruction, <laughs> like it yeah. just destroys the whole place. If, if yeah, I ever the... if I ever make it back to uh, any of the Harry Potter lands at Universal Studios, I'm I think I need to buy a stuffed Niffler. Like I need to get one. Oh, I need oh, one, dude. For sure. Yes. I mean, there's there's talks about a, a certain podcasting assembly happening sometime next year. I have a feeling I may need to stop by just to just to go dive into the Harry Potter world again one more time. Yeah, mm. dude, like the the display that they've got for Hogwarts was truly immersive. Yeah, it's amazing. I I was I was very very impressed that while I was standing in line, I was essentially also standing inside different parts of Hogwarts. No, right? It's just amazing. Like, like you were in the Great Hall at one point. You're Dumb- passing through Dumbledore's yeah. office at one point. Defense against you're going... the Dark Arts, the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they actually animated some of the pictures to make it look like the ghosts were were alive I in know. some of the pictures in the hall. <laughs> so good. And they would like talk to you as you're making your way through the line. I was like, oh, hello. Like the only thing it was missing was maybe like. Like a hologram of John Cleese or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like I think that. I think just about everything in the world could be improved with a hologram of John Cleese. Anything, anything. Just just yeah. name something, and it's better with a hologram of John Cleese. A baby or, or, carrot commercial. Better with a hologram of John. Or Cleese. better yet, I mean, what else is John Cleese doing? Why don't you just hire him just to just to <laughs> just float to around, just be to transparent? Hang out there. Cheerio, folks. Just hanging out. What? Are you, oh my God! It's John Cleese. <laughs> oh man. Uh, man. Okay. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see if I can find something that can stump you with this. Um, a coffee mug salesman in Times Square. Better with. How is that even a? You gotta try harder, Zach. Obviously, that's better with hologram John Cleese. Imagine hologram John Cleese trying to sell you a coffee mug in Times Square. <laughs> Uh okay a uh a Super Bowl commercial better with hologram John Cleese doesn't matter what it's for uh okay what about Papa John's delivery well that sucks to begin with but so it, it's not too hard to uh <laughs> not too hard to go <laughs> anything anything John Cleese related would make it better yeah pretty much um what about what about what about what about what about a library. Hologram John Cleese as the librarian. Mm. Okay, okay. What about what about a liquor store? Hologram John Cleese selling you booze. All right, all right, all right. Um, what about a movie about the life and legacy of? Oh shit! What's his name? <laughs> I don't I don't remember his name. Crap. Okay. I guess you win. 
<laughs> All right, there we go. I think we should get back to Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. All right, uh, get us back on track, Ben. Sure. Okay, yeah. um, Niffler. I got, I got, Niffler. I, I got, love the Niffler. I got way crazy. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even touch the sauce, I swear. Although people in my group chat probably thought that I did because I went on some crazy tangent about turning the supermarket into a movie. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, let's go, let's go to Makuza. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Makuza and, and talk about the, what, what is it? The, the magic Congress of the USA or something like that. Magical Congress of the USA. Yeah. Magical Congress of the USA. What do you make of that compared to the ministry of magic? And the fact that apparently all these different, high-ranking organizations have some sort of council that they deliberate amongst themselves with. Yeah, I, I, I think it's cool. I, I, I liked the... Um, I love the design of of um, of Makuza. I think you mentioned that, that earlier, Zach. But I just loved everything from the, like, you know, the the clock on the wall that said... Uh, <laughs> you know what the what level danger they were at i love the, the sort of the camera pan where it goes through the door shows you what muggles would see and then flips around shows newton tina coming through the door and then turns around again and shows you what's actually there is really cool um and and uh, you know i think the character of, of madame pickery uh or pickering or, or whatever her name is 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 was was a was a, a nice kind of kind of foil for the heroes you know somebody who's trying to do the right thing but um just has it is it just slightly off um and uh as for the council um i i love the scene where it's like it's almost like the wizarding un right where like everybody's there from all, all the different uh ministries for magic uh i thought that was a pretty cool a pretty cool scene and a pretty cool sort of um touch that they gave uh they gave this film we thought the ministry was impressive with the council that they had on it mm. uh, from the Harry Potter universe. And now we kind of have an idea that the entire world has different world leaders that represent uh, the, the, the concept of magic as a whole. And they, and they delegate uh, and, and deliberate amongst each other mm-hmm. to, to, the, to, the, to the degree that when, when Newt and, and Tina are, are – put on trial for their quote-unquote crimes it seems like they're almost all in some sort of conspiracy or some agreement that they don't want to blame these deaths on an obscurus they want to try and find somebody else to be their scapegoat yeah well i mean it's 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 sort of it's very similar to what we see in the harry potter films where they don't want to acknowledge that Voldemort is back right like they they constantly afraid of of the actual truth and so you know Newt sees what happened to the the senator there and um he knows right away what it is and I think there's a bit of a denial amongst the uh the wizarding world because probably because they don't know how to deal with an obscure obscurus uh you know we kind of see that at the end of the at the end of the movie when they actually face off with Credence in the subway like they didn't, they didn't know, they didn't know how to deal with that. They didn't know what to do. They just, they just killed him essentially. They, they didn't know how to help him. Um, and, and so I, I think there's, uh, I think we're we're sort of seeing again that sort of, you know, they they don't want to accept what's what's really going on, and 
and, and so it, it it is kind of a kind of a conspiracy, but I don't know if it's like a conscious conspiracy. Like I don't know if it's one of those things where they're all like, well, we have to accept, we all have to just agree that this is how it is. I think it's more like a situation where all of them just don't want to face the truth. Well, I mean, that could be. I mean, it 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 kind of gave me a a similar sensation to that of the uh, the Jedi Council when Qui Gon Jinn used the word Sith Lord. Yeah, absolutely. They all kind of look around at each other and they're like, "That's not possible. We haven't seen one of those in centuries. Mm-hmm. That, that that's not that's not a real thing. It's got to be something else." Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I, I feel like that's kind of similar to what this council was experiencing because uh, I think down in the cells at one point, you know, Jacob's asking, okay, for those of you who don't know what it is, this is what an Obscurus is. And Tina just kind of lays it out there that, you know, you don't really see much of them anymore because they haven't been around for decades, a couple of hundred years, I think she said. Like, it's been a long time since Obscurus... Uh, or, or an obscurus has been seen or been handled with. And while Newt's been going on his adventures, he's apparently been encountering them. He met one in Sudan. He said mm-hmm. like, this guy's a world traveler for one thing. Like he's yeah. not, he's not just going to the States. He's, he's, he's been all over and he's met some pretty interesting people and seen some pretty weird stuff. Apparently mm-hmm. if this is his, second obscurus that he's met in his lifetime yeah maybe even his third like this guy's been around oh definitely yeah 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 sure. so it's 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 interesting to look at to to see what an obscurus is for one thing and how they play into the bigger picture that is this universe because i can't help but wondering uh, what the, uh, the 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 headmasters at Hogwarts would have done if they'd run into an Obscurus, mm-hmm. you know, like what would the procedure be? What would their reaction be? What kind of repercussions could fall down from the Ministry of Magic? You know, there's all these different these different trails that you could kind of go along, and I just find it interesting that this is something that they chose to include in this particular movie, because if you wanted to make it a simple you know, oh, he's a rogue and he's off gallivanting and we need to, you know, we, we need him to find the beasts before Makuza does. It could just be a race against the clock if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But rather than do that, they are racing to prove that it was an Obscurus that killed the senator rather than one of his creatures. Yeah. So the Obscurus becomes a pretty pretty big plot element pretty quickly because rather than you know just trying to catch the the beasts so that makuza doesn't you're catching them so that the only thing that can be left to blame is an obscurus yeah it's it's all about you know newt's whole thing about the the uh the beasts is they're not they're not harmless they're not or they are harmless (laughs) they they're not harmful they're they're you know they they I don't know man I mean he, that, but that's his sort of that's his his um thesis to fantastic beasts and where to find them the book is like you know we just have to understand these creatures and then they won't present a a real imminent danger to us uh and 
Um, and so he, he needs to to prove it was the obscurest or the obscurest to to clear the name of his beasts because that's what he's that's what he's trying to prove is is that um, you know his his beasts can be trusted and when Graves takes his case you know he's saying there's nothing that's in there that's harmful there's nothing in there that's harmful and he also has the great line um, to to Jacob I think in in the case where he says you know it's, they're they're alone in unfamiliar territory surrounded by some of the most dangerous creatures uh on the planet humans uh which i, oh, I thought was such a good line it was it was powerful but i also can't help but make note of a lot of um overt uh, messages that were being delivered in this movie mm-hmm. obviously animal conservation being one of the biggest ones mm-hmm, definitely but they they were definitely making a lot of statements in this movie. Uh, some of the ones that I took note of was was preservation and conservation, uh, the idea of extreme conservatism, which is essentially what the Second Salemers are, mm-hmm. um, the idea of women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, are are people like Tina and Queenie being, um, you know, misrepresented? You know, or or are they being accurately represented for their times mm-hmm. uh, as far as work is concerned? And then the concept of corporal punishment. You know, uh, Credence and some of the other uh, orphans are physically punished for their misdeeds, which, you know, if you were to see belt beatings happening today, that just wouldn't fly over very well. No. So, I mean, there were there were definitely some some entendres being thrown into this movie. But I think the thing that makes it so interesting is they're not, they're not necessarily being thrown in your face to be thrown in your face. Kind of the way they did with the save the whales campaign on star Trek. (laughs) Right. Okay. I still, I still hate that movie to this day. I don't know why people like that movie. It's not, it's not one of those things where it's just being thrown in your face. But if you're, if you're intelligent enough to recognize it, then it just helps you get a bit of a deeper appreciation for this film because they're not necessarily making it to make it. Uh-huh. They're making it because they have something to say and they're saying it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm describing that very well, but it's like sometimes movies get made and you don't really know why they're being made. Mm-hmm. Like, like zombies. <laughs> right that that's the ultimate that's one of the ultimate sort of examples yeah. that, that's one of that's one of the prime examples a movie gets made and you don't really know why mm. and you just kind of go to zombies but this movie it it felt like there were things that needed to be said things that could be said and this movie helped give those things a voice yeah i i, de- I definitely agree i think this movie it, it's you're right it's got a lot of um messages in it and they're they're, they're more a little bit more on the nose than they were in the Harry Potter films. I mean, those, those stories do have uh, some messages as well, uh, but they're, they're a little bit more subtle uh, in, in the, in the, the seven books and the eight movies. Whereas here, they're very much, they want it's front and center in the story and the story deals with them pretty directly in, in some ways. I mean, we see, you know, the, credence and and his experience with the second second salemers um and and his his adopted mother there with the the beatings and you know the anti-magic rhetoric and him being somebody who is uh magical but unstable he doesn't know he's he's not uh he, he the way he deals with it is a big part of the story it's not just sort of there to say isn't this awful it also it says isn't this awful and here are 
here are some of the consequences of it in the story. Uh, and and I, I think they do a really good job at it. the one. The other one that really sticks out to me in terms of sort of messaging is is um, is at the end. And, um, you know, we'll talk about Crimes of Grindelwald next week. And, and that's a movie that I, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to color anybody else's opinion before they see it. But I, I personally have a lot of issues with that movie. But uh, one idea that it sort of carries over uh, from that gets explored more in that movie is what happens at the end where you have this unstable young person who is potentially dangerous but isn't evil, doesn't doesn't desire to do harm, but they're so unstable that they're potentially dangerous. And the person who's defending them, or one of the people who's defending them, is one of the most evil people in the world. And the people that kill him are the supposed good guys, the the horrors, the police. Right. And it's a it's sort of there's there's something to be said about, you know, the again, the 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 sort of our our as, as a species, as humans, and, and if you want to get very specific with certain police forces, or, or all police forces, uh, resorting to extreme force too quickly when there are times when it's certainly not merited. Uh, and and you know, we see we see that in, in this movie, and that, that's an idea that gets picked up on a little bit in the next one. But uh, the, the ending was always really sort of powerful to me, because there you have Grindelwald in the, in the form of Graves, kind of you know he's he's the one who's trying to trying to help credence granted for his own reasons that are evil right but you know if it's one of those sort of weird moments where if grindelwald had gotten his way credence would have been fine in that moment now really the people we're supposed to be rooting for are newton tina who are trying to help credence to help credence because they are just good people and those are the ones we're really supposed to be rooting for but it it says something when the ministry uh, or, or Makuza, or whatever you want to call it, and all the orders come busting in, and, and the the president gives the the order to to kill this kid, essentially. Um, when really, you know, yeah, he's dangerous and he's he's done some some bad things, but he's not. I don't think anybody would say Credence is an evil person. He's he's a, he's been subjected to, you know, abuse his entire life, and and as as such as unstable both mentally and magically. Okay, so it's time for another one of Zach's hot takes. All right, let's hear it. You're 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 bringing in credence. Uh, this is this is a hot take that I delivered on my Twitter page a couple of days ago when I first watched this movie, and I still stand by it. Ezra Miller as credence mm-hmm. is ten thousand times better than Ezra Miller as Barry Allen in <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> You know, I still haven't seen Justice League, so I can't comment. Um, but I, I've seen Ezra Miller and some other stuff, and he's an actor that I, I I got a lot of time for. I think he's he's really talented, but um, I think anybody in Justice League doesn't necessarily. Does, I don't think Justice League does anybody any favors. Um, and I think I think, um, but yeah, I, I think Ezra Miller is pretty great as in this movie and in most of his uh, performances. Gal Gadot, I mean, I don't think she can really do any wrong, so I may mm. be a little bit biased there, but I I enjoyed her, and I, I liked Jason Momoa. I'm curious about what Aquaman is going to turn into, just because Aquaman's one of my favorite superheroes, period. Sure. So, I mean, I, I feel like 
Justice League had potential, but they kept missing out on that potential time and time again. Mm. And uh, that was that was very disappointing to see. And and one of those potentials that they had was thanks to the TV series, Grant Gustin had kind of become the Flash to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he embodied who the Flash was, and. So I feel like the fan base may have resented Miller's iteration from the get-go mm. just because he wasn't Grant Gustin. Right, yeah. But then when I look at Fantastic Beasts and I see the way that Miller carries himself in this movie and the way that he comes across as a a scared and unstable character... I realize what a chameleon he is because it almost took until the very end of the movie for me to recognize who he was in the first place. Like his, his haircut, his posture, his demeanor, the way that he spoke, right. Everything about him just did not seem like Barry Allen Mm -hmm. from justice league. I almost didn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. But then when I did, I was like, Holy moly, this is night and day. And that, to me is really sad because he's such a good actor in this one and then just doesn't come across that well in justice league and if you enjoy his work in other productions that he's been a part of the only one i can really place blame on then is justice league they flat out underutilized him yeah they they did not write to ezra miller as barry allen and it ended up affecting his character and it uh, ended up affecting the movie, which is really disappointing because I really, really enjoyed Credence's character. It was one of the few moments that actually kind of made my jaw drop a little bit in realization, oh, hey, he's looking for himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just, oh, it's so meta, dude. Like, mm. Like he doesn't even realize that the person that Graves is looking for is himself. He he just he just knows that that he's got to try and make friends with people, but he's about as antisocial as I am, and it's really hard to gain anybody's confidence and trust because he's just not very talkative. Right. And he's very secretive. Like there's there's a lot of elements about Credence that are just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. He works and lives among the second Salemers, mm-hmm. and yet he wants to be magical. Yeah, he wants to be a wizard. He wants for that potential to be recognized, and it, it seems to be a rather taboo thing. Like you're mm-hmm. either not talking about wizards and witchcraft in general, like you're just kind of shrugging it off, like the rest of the nomad world seems to be doing. Yeah, like when they when they present this idea of witches and wizards to the press, they're like. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And and so you're either laughing it off or you're you're just very very anti wizardry or witchcraft. And so for him to want to be a part of it makes him a complete outcast, a complete misfit from the rest of the world, from the rest of society. He has to keep himself closeted if you'll if you'll if you'll allow me that that metaphor. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. He he has to conceal who he really is, and by the time you get to the end of the movie, it's literally eating him up inside. Mm-hmm. I, and he has to express himself. He yeah. has to let everything loose for the sake of his own sanity, because he's a teenager, 
And supposedly, Obscurus's aren't supposed to live past the ages of 8 to 10. Yeah. And here he is, years later, still trying to hide who he is from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think your, your metaphor was very apt. I mean, you see he's being, um, he's being abused mentally and physically by um, the, the, his mother, whose name is escaping me, but the, the second Salemers lady. Like, it, it's, uh, it's very, it, it, I, like, yeah, your metaphor is, is very apt for what he's going through. Um, or, or it's, uh, I, I didn't even, the thing about it literally eating him up inside didn't, uh, that didn't even, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even catch that. I think that's a really, that's an even, an, another even better layer to, to add on. Man, I, that, that again is just one of the things that I, I enjoyed about Ezra Miller's performance and that I enjoyed as uh, of credence as a character in general, you know, mm-hmm. that's as many characters as they have in this movie. It's almost like every one of them gets to have their own moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very much an ensemble cast with Tina and Queenie and, and, and Graves and the Madam President and Kowalski and okay, that's the other thing. There's a lot of Penguins of Madagascar Kowalski memes going around the internet right now. <laughs> and every time they kept saying Mr. Kowalski in the movie, I just kept waiting for someone to say analysis. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I I get a little sidetracked from time to time, but man, it, they need to do a Fantastic Beasts version of it where it's like. Kowalski analysis, and then it's just Jacob, and he's got his confused face on or something. He's like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe his baffled face outside the jewelry store or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm yeah. not a meme maker. Okay, I wish I was. The last time I made a meme, I thought it was freaking hilarious, and literally the only person who reposted it was Ben. Ah. <laughs> So I don't trust myself in my meme making skills anymore. I mm. thought it was pretty funny. It was um, it, it was one of those photo captions with like a, a movie caption that comes underneath it. You know, the ones I'm talking about, yeah, like yeah, the black yeah. and white framing. And then you've got like a screen cap of a movie or something. Mm. So my, my caption read um, when you change a light bulb in your bedroom and the screen cap that I had underneath it was Han Solo in A New Hope. And he's standing outside the Millennium Falcon saying, I made a lot of special modifications myself. Uh, uh, all right. All right. All right. I see it. I see it. I like it. I, I thought that was clever. Cause like you feel really accomplished when you change a light bulb, but it's mm. really nothing special, but I don't know. I digress. Yeah, I digress. So let, let... Uh, ensemble casting, mm-hmm. ensemble casting, everybody seemingly had their moment. They seemingly had their day. And that was another element that, I appreciated with this. I never sat there wondering, okay, what's happening to Credence? Because we cut back to Credence. I'm not sitting there going, what's happening to Newt? Obviously, he's one of our starring players. We see him a lot. The only person that I really had a question about, and maybe this is something you can help me with uh, as somebody who's, who's more into the universe than I am. Were we supposed to be impressed with the presence of this Abernathy character in Makuza? Um, Abernathy, like just the guy who, like, 
Like he's he's, the he's guy Tina's just, yeah Tina's he, boss he's, yeah. And Tina then, Tina's direct supervisor, and then shows up again when Queenie is yeah, is trying and, and, to uh, save Jacob from being obliviated. Uh, you know, he he shows up a couple of different times, and it almost feels like the storytellers were trying to thrust Abernathy into places where he doesn't belong, just so somebody has the opportunity to say Abernathy again. <laughs> like I heard, I heard his name like four or five times in this movie, and only saw maybe like two minutes of airtime for him. And I'm sitting here going, "What is the importance?" Of a person with the last name Abernathy. Is that like magical lore or does he turn into somebody else? Is he supposed to be like a reference to somebody else? I don't get it. Nothing, nothing that I'm aware of. Um, I think it's just a new character. He does show up in the sequel um, and he makes about as much of an impact in that as he does in this. Um, I don't, I don't think there's anything to it. I think, you know, he's just kind of one of those sort of recurring tertiary or, even less than, the, or even you know, quadrishary. I don't know, <laughs> fourth fourth tier characters um, that just kind of is there a couple of times to provide an extra obstacle to the characters. I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think there's anything too uh, important about him, or um, maybe not. Importance maybe the wrong word, but I don't think there's like a deep sort of lore connection for him that I'm aware of. See, I, I'm trying to to find anything that I can on Mr. Abernathy. He doesn't even have a first name. It's just Mr. Abernathy. <laughs> he's a he's a Makuza employee who supervises Tina and Queenie Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Easily agitated by their behavior, Abernathy seems to enjoy getting the sisters into trouble a little too much. Mm. And that's it. That's it. That 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 is the essence of Mr. Abernathy. And I just I don't get it. I I don't understand why Abernathy was such an important name to throw around. And if you said that he has about the same influence and the same role in the next movie, then all of that build up was for nothing. I don't see I never read it as build up. Like the fact that you're bringing this up is is very interesting to me because I I've never sort of I just sort of saw him as, oh, it's that guy. Ah, it's that guy. And, you know, I sort well, of saw him as just sort of, you know, above a background character um, that just kind of popped up here and there. And well, even like, like even when he even when he showed up in the in the second one, if I hadn't watched the first one earlier in the week to prep for this show, I don't think I would have recognized him as anything. Like I I didn't I didn't see it as it's it's interesting that he sort of um, stuff that that he he kind of stuck with you for whatever reason stood out to me yeah Yeah. so maybe part of it is since i'm so fresh from watching all the harry potter movies Mm. i'm still sitting through something like fantastic beasts looking for as many references and easter eggs as i can Mm. you know like the like like the lestrange mentioned mentioning lena lestrange Maybe something like the reference to Albus Dumbledore as Newt Scamander's professor. Yeah. You know, there, there's just certain little teases that get thrown into the mix here and there throughout the course of the movie mm-hmm. that maybe I placed an Easter egg on Abernathy where one didn't belong. I, I, I think that's that maybe as what's happened, but I don't know. There's supposed to be five of these things, so who knows in, in movie three, four, or five if he... Uh... 
<laughs> he gets a little something extra if we maybe find he, out. Maybe he marries somebody and, and you know, their their lineage becomes the Lovegood family or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Speaking of I the mean, speaking of the Lovegood family, so uh and this is this is a little maybe a tenuous connection. Um mm-hmm. but when when did you did you ever when did you catch on that Graves wasn't who he said he was? And I, I'll, I'll explain what the connection is to the Lovegood family in a second if you don't know. But when did when did you catch on that that there was something up with with Mister Percival Graves? Um, I mean, honestly, I thought he was he was after the Obscurus for selfish reasons, mm. and that that seemed very antithetical to what Makuza really stood for. Mm-hmm. But I really thought he was more of a minion of Grindelwald mm-hmm. rather than who he turned out to be. I I was not expecting a Revelio to to show me that the person I've been watching over the course of this movie is not who he said he was. That and that and credence being the obscurus he was looking for mm. both of those were probably two of the biggest plot twists that i encountered in this movie and that's that's the other thing that i that i need to give this movie props for is there were plenty of opportunities to get complacent with the storytelling and they threw just enough twists and just enough different into the mix Mm. that it kept me engaged throughout all the way until the very end of the movie. Very, yeah. very well done. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So here's where, here's where being a fan, being sort of a, a, a fan and, and being kind of deep into the lore um, got, uh, wound up uh, spoiling that surprise for me, is that symbol, that little necklace that he gives credence it's the Deathly Hallows. It's the Deathly Hallows, which is what you see Xenophilius Lovegood wearing in Deathly Hallows. Right. Now, in the book, it's explained, it's explained in the book that when people see that symbol in the time of Harry Potter, quite often they're offended by it. It's sort of it, because it was because Grindelwald, who was after the Deathly Hallows, and if you notice he, in the trailers for uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, he has the elder wand. And so Grindelwald oh, wanted to he? Yeah, Grindelwald Grindelwald wanted the uh to collect all three hollows. He wanted to be the master of death. And so he adopted that symbol as his uh as his symbol. So the fact that Xenophilius Lovegood is wearing it around his neck, if you just sort of saw that, if you just sort of saw somebody wearing that symbol or or with you know that symbol tattooed or something, you know, it would sort of be like if you saw somebody walking around with a swastika today. You know, like you would think, oh, my God, what an asshole. Like, oh, man. And now, of course, Xenophilus Lovegood in the book explains that he, you know, no, no, he's not a supporter of Grindelwald and what Grindelwald wanted to do. He's wearing it because he believes in the actual sort of story of the three brothers, which is what you get in the film. And they kind of they cut out sort of they they cut out a lot of the Grindelwald backstory that you get in uh, in the Deathly Hallows book for the film. Naturally so, Mm. because they cut out so much of the Dumbledore backstory in uh in the deathly hollows film uh, that's in the book um just you know for time reasons and and to make it a little bit more of a linear story i understand the reasons they cut it but it was there get so to the get to the kitchen kitties somebody's a little salty <laughs> but no so so then in the in a like a preview clip for the movie 
with J.K. Rowling talking about how excited she was to be writing in this world again and blah, 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 and how there would be these like connections in Fantastic Beasts, they showed the moment where Graves gives Credence the Deathly Hallows thing. As soon as I saw uh, that, I saw, uh, something's up. Something's up mm-hmm. here. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be Grindelwald himself, but when he started giving that, I, sort of like you, I was thinking he was going to be a, a henchman or something, but when he started giving that speech and he says, starts saying things like, and history will remember this, uh, Madame President, I sort of went, oh, it's going to be Grindelwald, isn't it? Because the other thing that I knew going in was that Johnny Depp had been cast in the role for the sequel and he had filmed a little scene for this. And I thought, ah, oh, Graves is going to turn out to be Grindelwald. And so I, it was just in that final moment that it all clicked together. But I was suspicious of Graves from, from moment one because I'd seen him hand over the, the Deathly Hallows thing and I knew what that meant in this time period. See, now that's an Easter egg and that's a context that I wish I'd been privy to. Mm, okay. Because maybe then I wouldn't be so fixated on nobody Abernathy. <laughs> Abernathy. <laughs> I right. did notice. I did notice the the Deathly Hallows necklace, but I had no idea what the context was. I was just like, "Oh, that's interesting." I just saw that in the movie I reviewed two weeks ago. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, it, I mean, it was something I was going to get to eventually. I've, I've got it in my personal notes here, but. It's just it's not something that I really had an opportunity to speculate on because I didn't know the importance of it. Right, right, right. Like I I saw it and I, I instantly like whispered to myself. I was like, oh, my God, that's the Deathly Hallows. What could that mean? But I didn't know that it had a a connection or a context to Grindelwald himself. So maybe if if I had known that about the love goods, then it would have had a little bit more importance in my time watching this one. So. Ay, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Instead, of, instead, of, instead, you focused in on Abernathy and the big Abernathy had, mystery. In, that... Instead of the symbol that I recognized from the previous two movies that I have discussed on this show, I focused on a nobody that doesn't even have a first name in this series yet, by the name of Abernathy. Yeah, you created your own mystery. <laughs> I, I I put an Easter egg where one did not exist, and I watched that egg, and it just never hatched. Damn it! Yeah. By the way, that's that's one of my favorite lines in the movie is back at the bank when uh, Jacob says, "Hey, Mister English guy, your egg is cracking." <laughs> I don't know why, but it always tickles me the way he says, "Mister English guy." Mister English guy. Yeah, they have a very interesting relationship. Yeah, because like. There's some times where where Jacob just kind of wants to go home. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feel it feels like he just kind of wants to go home, but he also kind of wants to see how this is going to play out. Yeah. And so there are moments where like when they're staying with Tina and Queenie and they're in the guest room and he, you know, starts you know, Newt starts walking into his suitcase and he like waves Jacob in. He's kind of looking around the bedroom like me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I lo- I, I love that whole scene where I just love the way Eddie Eddie Redman is like 
he's lying under the covers. <laughs> such a weird thing to say, but just the way he's lying there, like it's this is such a he's got such a pouty look on his face. And he can, he's almost in the fetal position. <laughs> yeah, you can tell he's like he's like he looks like such a child in that moment, a child having a meltdown because he just wants to go and find his beasts and drop all the pretense that he's you know he's because he knows Tina's an horror and he doesn't trust horrors and he just sort of wants. He doesn't trust anybody else to, to respectfully deal with his beasts and all that stuff. And I, and, and he just, just wants to get out of there, but Tina's stopping him at every turn. And so he's just pouting like a little child and waiting for her to leave so he can go climb into his suitcase. And then, of course, yeah, you get that great, get the couple of great Dan Fogler reactions. Oh, they were, they were amazing. I wanted to use the word fantastic, but I feel like, I'd, <laughs> well, I feel I, like we're overusing that word a little bit tonight. Just a, just a smidge. Um, but, I mean, the CGI yeah. in this film mm-hmm. was really, really good. It's pretty beautiful, yeah. It, 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 what's interesting is because it's set in the 1920s, it feels very out of place because a lot of what they do is very dated. You know, the costumes mm. are dated and the the idea of the press influencing millions of readers. You know, it, who reads a newspaper anymore? I mean, really? I, I mean, there's there's so many elements that remind you of of the time placement that you're in. Yeah. And and again, going back to some of the camera shots like you were talking about earlier, Dominic, I, for one, was very impressed with this one shot where they were finishing up with something very spectacular and very beautiful down in the suitcase, this zoo of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene that they cut to, I think, focuses on Credence. Mm. And the suitcase is vibrant. It's beautiful. It's full of color and life and energy. And then you cut to Credence. Mm. And it's very monotone. It's. I, I think I know the, the scene you're talking about where it's almost like Credence and, and Graves are just in silhouette form almost in certain shots. And it's just going from extreme color spectrum on one side to very grayscale the very next scene. Yeah. And when I'm looking at that didactic nature and the way that they intentionally split those two things up, it's almost like the visuals – are trying to tell you that the world is a better place with these animals in it yeah. compared to the world without it. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. All you have to do is just be observing the cuts between the scenes mm-hmm. to recognize the story that they're trying to project on you. And for that kind of intricacy to be in this movie, I was very very impressed with that particular sequence and with the animals in general let's be honest the 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 rumpant chase at the central park zoo <laughs> was right up there with the bank scene for me oh, okay all right yeah because it's just so zany and crazy and funny in nature mm-hmm. that you just have to chuckle at how Funny it looks for a couple of grown men to be rubbing musk on themselves in order to entice this creature three, four, five times the size of a rhinoceros yeah. into a bloody suitcase. Yeah, <laughs> My, yeah, it's it, it's pretty great. And Eddie Redmayne's just his like his motions to he's shaking his body around to try and get the thing to go into the suitcase. But my favorite part of that whole sequence is actually when the monkey steals Newt's wand. <laughs> 
Yes. And then Newt has to convince him, is trying to convince him to take the I stick. I love that. It's so good. It's such a wonderful, um, so much, such a wonderful little thing, which a little touch. Uh, yeah, it's a fun scene. I, I, I loved the, the lion and the ostrich both showing up outside the zoo. You're like, wait, what the heck is going on right now? Yeah. And, and I also and like, uh, yeah, go for also it. Also, the sequence where the erupting is underneath the ice mm, that's a good one it, it 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 was it was very magical in nature mm-hmm. and also kind of reminded me of the glow that we got in the woods when harry discovered the sword of gryffindor yeah 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 definitely definitely like i i got i got some some gryffindor Deathly Hallows vibes there just a little bit, but sure. not well, so not so much that it overshadowed the moment, you know? Yeah, like, no, definitely. Just, just enough to remind you of previous things that you've seen in this universe, but not so blatant that you're just like, oh, it's a total ripoff from from this scene over here. Yeah. It it told its own story and it told it well. Yeah, definitely. Um, two other sort of moments that are are kind of related to that sequence. They're both um Jacob and Newt moments. Um, I, I love, I love the bit where Newt is giving Jacob the helmet to put on and <laughs> Jacob's, and the breastplate and the breastplate yeah. and Jacob's like, what, what, why do I need this? Newt says, because your skull is susceptible to breakage under extreme pressure or whatever, extreme force. Uh, that was good. And, um, and then the, I also, his line about, um, you know, I, I, I try not to, to worry because the way I see it, if you worry, you suffer twice. I think that's a pretty, oh. it's a pretty pretty uh deep line a pretty clever line from old jk rolling there but also the moment where they're just walking down the streets in new york i think this is even pre um jewelry shop when newt is asking jacob he's like why do people like you and 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 jacob's like i don't know what you know that's just just who i am i'm sure people like you and newt says not really they find me annoying (laughs) newt's so self-aware of the fact that he's just uh he's not the he's not the best wizard yeah yeah, he's he's a little bit a uh, little bit. But unaware. he's so endearing. He's he's not Mister Popular, but he's very self confident. Yes, he know he knows who he is and he sticks to it. Mm-hmm. And he um he he and another reason why I I see him as like a, a Doctor Doolittle of magic is he cares more about the animals than he does the people he's interacting with. Mm, yeah. Like he's he if if he could live in that suitcase and just take care of his creatures until the end of time, I think he'd be OK with that. I think he would be, too. Yeah, <laughs> I think he like would be. he could he could be a magical zookeeper and he'd be fine mm-hmm. for the rest of his days. Just let his magic rehabilitate and and breed and take care of these rare and exotic creatures. If that was something that was actually allowed by the ministry, I think he would do it. Yeah, but because the preference is to just eliminate them or or terminate them or or hide them or whatever, he feels like he needs to hide them just to keep them alive. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Which goes back to which goes back to that idea of conservation that I was mentioning earlier. Oh, it's, definitely. It's it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to sound anti nature here. It's just another very interesting take on. Letting people know, hey, we need to take care of what we've been given, mm-hmm. but doing it in the context of the magical world rather than the literal one. People have had enough of those 
you know, save the creature campaigns shoved down their throat. They've had enough PETA advertisements to last them a lifetime. But why not encourage that kind of creativity and and that kind of, of awareness for, you know, the world that we're responsible for by putting it in a different world's context? And, and again, I like this message and this context in this universe a hell of a lot better than the message and context of the Star Trek universe. It still pisses me off. It <laughs> wow. always will. Wow. It always, always will. One of these days, I'm going to binge through all ten of the original Star Trek films, and I'm just not going to enjoy that particular one. I think it's four, Voyage Home. I'm pretty sure it's four. No idea. I do, I do not enjoy that movie. I will never enjoy that movie. Not anywhere close to how much I enjoyed this one, anyways. Yeah. Um, I, Ben, since you're back, uh, I'll, yeah. ask, I'll ask you the question. By the way, I was gone for a little while. If you didn't know, right, you if noticed. You, if you that. didn't notice, I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked he Zach. Just, he just he just had nothing to contribute. Yeah. <laughs> I just lost my voice. I had a had a spell cast on me. Yeah. Um. So the the question I asked Zach was, um, at what point did you catch on that Graves wasn't uh, Graves was who he really was? Um, um, I didn't until, 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 until the reveal at the end. Okay. And so, and do you understand the significance of Graves Grindelwald giving Credence the Deathly Hollow symbol? Um, I recognize the symbol. I thought it was the Deathly Hollow symbol, but I, I don't know if I totally got the significance. All right, real quick, because I already explained it for Zach. Uh, Grindelwald adopted that symbol as his sort of calling card so um people see that and they don't necessarily think of the deathly hollows they think of grindelwald uh and there's a whole backstory in in deathly hollows the book that got cut for the movie uh but that is his that is his symbol and if you if you look at the um trailer for crimes of grindelwald and if you pay attention when you see it you'll notice that he has the elder wand oh yeah I, i did notice that yeah yeah that's cool yeah. And and I was I was I was quite shocked. I have to say I was I was I was in there cuz like you you there's a lot of talk of Grindelwald and mm-hmm. I was like okay, he's going to show up in this movie. I know he's at some point, you know. And then it's like, "Oh crap, Colin Farrell just turned into Johnny Depp. That's <laughs> this is cool. I didn't expect that." Yeah. Wish he could have stayed Colin Farrell. <laughs> I know what you mean. Well, we'll talk about it. Talk about it in 2 weeks. Well, I'm sure he will. Oh man, oh man. There's there's still so much to cover. There's still so much to look at. Um, let's let's look at that final sequence. I suppose mm. the uh, the the fight for Credence's soul, if you will, mm-hmm. on the train tracks, and the use of the the oars trying to establish kind of a, a boundary by by using a very similar set of spells like the ones that they used outside of Hogwarts during the end game of, of Deathly Hallows. Um, I gotta be honest. I, I feel like this was one of the very few times that the CGI got a little out of hand. If, if I had to find something okay. to nitpick, it yeah. would be, it would be that some of the CGI and some of the sequences that they had with Credence felt a little overblown at times. 
Mm. And it, it felt very displaced considering all of this CGI was happening on a set that's supposed to remind you of the 1920s. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Like it was, it was just a very, very didactic split, at least with the suitcase, you're kind of stepping outside of reality a little bit and you can kind of have all those CGI creatures and you can have all those moments because it's very localized. But when you set all of that stuff loose and it starts to spread to New York City, it just felt a little different. Not necessarily less enjoyable, just a very, very different look at New York. And holy smokes, you thought something like Man of Steel or or the Avengers wreaked a lot of destruction and havoc on New York? Look at what Credence did to 1920s yeah. New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. Gosh, there was a lot of destruction and just buildings collapsing all over the place. Uh, uh, you know, cave-ins of uh, of certain sorts, or, or what do you what do you call them? Um, I can't think of their names for the life of me. Sinkholes, mm. sinkholes all over the place, and it it was just a lot of destruction, a lot more havoc wreaked than I was expecting for such a such a finale as this because i i thought it would be a little bit more smaller scale than what it turned out to be yeah yeah it 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 definitely um yeah they they certainly went big on the on the finale and and you know it it wouldn't be a warner brothers movie without a little bit of cgi destruction of a city um (laughs) but it it, the only thing was missing was like a giant light pointing into the sky yeah instead of a giant light pointing into the sky you got a a a, a ball of darkness <laughs> just smashing around um yeah it's it's uh i i it's it it is a little bit heavy on the on the cg but um it, it, you know you know i think they needed to they needed to establish how dangerous credence could be and, and the threat of this uh this obscurus beyond just um you know killing one senator and uh so uh, you know it it works uh it works uh fairly well i think um the uh i I do like sort of the ultimate uh cheat card with the setting uh frank free at the end to uh, (laughs) to obliviate all the no yeah it was it was a bit of a mulligan and and i probably didn't like that as much as i did enjoy watching the aurors and the other wizards putting new york back together with their magic yeah that was pretty cool if there was ever a time for magic to be commonplace and practically useful, it was that sequence of events right there. And I loved every minute of it, especially with the with the particular building that hasn't finished construction yet. But there was this one uh, wizard that was basically walking along the beams as it was being repaired. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that sequence was very impressive. It 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 almost felt mary poppins-esque or something to me <laughs> i just i very much enjoyed the whimsy of it's like oh well i'm fixing this and walking along at the same time but i'm not going to fall i'm not going to die because my magic is fixing everything it was just i, I don't know if cute is the appropriate word for it but that's what it felt like it just felt like a really cute moment yeah i i think it's i think cute's an appropriate term i think it i think it works yeah yeah I'm using a lot of adjectives tonight. Can, have you guys noticed? Not really. Not nights. not not any more than not any more than usual. Not anymore. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is I'm a pompous blowhard. Okay, thank you. 
Well, I, I mean, it's your words. <laughs> it's uh, it's getting late, y'all. <laughs> that it is. That it is. And before we uh, we give our final thoughts, it's time for one of my final hot takes of the night. Okay. Uh oh. And uh, you guys may not like this one. I don't know, but I also don't care. So here it goes. Kowalski and Queenie's Kiss in the Rain is eons times better than the Kiss in the Rain we got in Spider-Man. Oh, wow. Interesting. Go there. Because the Spider-Man relationship takes freaking forever to actually pan out into anything substantial. It literally takes three movies. It takes forever to turn into anything. And even then, it doesn't feel real to me. I don't know why. But the affection that Queenie dotes on Jacob for the entirety of this movie, she legitimately falls for him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Jacob falls for her too because she's different. Mm. And he likes it. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why she likes him is he's different. Yeah. And she likes how different he is. Their differences, their opposites attracted one another. Mm-hmm. And that's one storyline that we really didn't get to talk about a whole lot during this discussion. But I love their relationship. I, I, yeah. I really do. Like, they are the ones who give me hope for, you know, half-bloods. Mm. You know, because if there is that kind of a relationship then, you know, I would much rather have a Queenie and Jacob love story than the icy cold parentage that Draco Malfoy seems to have. Yeah, definitely. Like, I would much rather be in that kind of a situation rather than, you know, pure bloods for the sake of pure bloods. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Like, if you really wanted to have pure blood situations going on, then just talk to the Lannisters for some advice, okay? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that kiss in the rain was not just a a moment of passion. It was also a kiss goodbye. Mm. Because as he's standing in that rain, he's going to forget everything that ever happened to him. Like, he was supposed to be obliviated early in the movie, but then he just keeps on picking up memories, picking up moments, keeps contributing to what's going on. He develops friendships, relationships, and forgets all of it. But... It's like he got that last farewell. Mm-hmm. He got that last, that last important moment with the person that was most important to him. Rather than a mystery kiss with somebody that it takes three movies to develop into something, that was like a moment of triumph and celebration, but also a moment of sadness and saying goodbye. It wrapped up all these different emotions that had been building up over the course of the movie. You knew it was inevitable. You knew that there was no way the, that the Makuza was going to let him go off and, and just continue living his life after experiencing all that he experienced. You know, it, I, I held out hope like an outside hope for the longest time, but it never came to pass. But the fact that he did finally get to have his bakery and he did get to have those moments and he had some lasting memories because all of his different pastries are in the shapes of the creatures that he encountered. Like, (laughs) oh my gosh, he got to retain some of it. Just enough that when Queenie shows up at the end of the movie, 
He smiles as if he remembered her from some distant memory or a dream. And it was just beautiful. Yeah. It was it was just beautiful and it was made beautiful. That scene was made beautiful because of that goodbye kiss. I loved both of those sequences. Yeah, it it's it's pretty great. I I think um I think, uh, yeah, we definitely haven't given Alison Sudol enough uh, enough praise for for her her role as Queenie in this. You know, she, you know, you know, she she's uh, she's a like I said off the top, she's got a, a great heart to her. She she um, even though she's not necessarily, uh, you know, she says you know Tina's Tina's the career girl. She's just kind of out to have fun, but she winds up getting involved in all of this and you know knowing right from wrong and doing the right thing in the end and and she gets to share this special connection and and I love the way you put it Zach you know they're both they're both different and they like each other because they're different um mm-hmm. not in spite of their differences but because of them and yep. it's a it's a really beautiful story and and you know that final moment in the bakery I I do love it's it's a little bit like the ending of inception you're not sure does the top fall does he does he actually remember her um, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty great ending for this movie. And, uh, that, that's a relationship that was, uh, was a lot of fun. And, and I, and, and I also really liked the, um, the, uh, Newt Tina relationship. There's, it's a, it doesn't quite uh, develop as much as, as Jacob and Queenie, but that, that their little final goodbye on the boat where, you know, Tina asks him about Lita and, then he kind of says to her, he has that line about, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get, send you a copy of my book. And then he says, how would you like it if I delivered the copy in person? <laughs> and then she walks away and she has that little hop of excitement. Um, is also a very sort of sweet, sweet little moment there. And uh, while we're on the topic of sweet little moments, um, Jacob saying, you know, oh, right before he gets obliviated, he says, oh, you know, we, we all knew, know that Newt just sort of kept me around because, Hey Newt, why did you keep me around? And 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 Newt says, <laughs> yeah. because I liked you and because you're my friend. Uh, so there, there's so many just such nice, sweet little moments um, towards the end of this movie, and they 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 give it a really sort of feel good ending. Yeah, totally. Oh my god. Sorry, I just saw this really stupid news article that just made me facepalm. I need to stay off of Facebook when we're podcasting. Yeah, that's that, that's my policy. Is I don't go on. I try to I, I try to avoid Twitter and Facebook during the show. I I keep them closed. Well, sometimes people are live tweeting or they'll they'll post something in the in the group if if there's actually anybody listening live. So that's really what I was going for. I wasn't trying to. To take away from your no 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 not, from not your from your comments, Dom. I wasn't not, not, you know saying that I'm on social media because I'm bored with what you have to say. <laughs> not at all, and I didn't mean to imply that. I'm just I'm just saying I struggle from the same thing of that all. Mm-hmm. Something will catch my eye, and I'll just kind of go oh, and then I'll miss something that somebody else says, and I'll be annoyed with myself for missing it and being behind on the conversation and. Yeah, I, I I feel you. I feel this is that. So yeah. that's why I. Yes, that's I why totally I agree. Off. As I scroll through Twitter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's talk about you know some of the some of the stereotypical questions. We don't have to give long winded answers necessarily, but I'm curious. Um, did you guys have a favorite scene in this movie? Um. The uh, the, the 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 jewelry store robbery with the. Nifflers. I'm gonna say the same thing. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I personally enjoyed the uh, the suitcase sequence because yeah. you you go you you go down uh, for for a little bit there and you think oh well okay it's just very deep it feels like a Mary Poppins type bag or something like that and and you know this the dimensions that you're in for this particular room seem fine and then he opens the door into something even bigger and you're like holy crap he's carrying all this around with him it's like a completely different world yeah. And the the magic and wonder that I got to experience with that, it, it caught me by surprise, and it was like a happy surprise. I was like, okay, I suspended my disbelief enough with this little room, but now I'm suspending it even more by stepping into this animal preserve, if you will, mm-hmm. that he keep that he keeps in a pouch. It was it was pretty cool to see. Uh, what about a favorite character? I, I I'm gonna go with newt um i i love jacob love tina love uh love queenie i think they're all fun characters but there's there's something about newt i i you know his sort of his awkwardness with people his his love of his animals and just his sort of um well you hear dumbledore say it in the in the sequel and and you hear it say it in the trailers um you know he's 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 a good he's a good person and he does good for the sake of doing good um, he's does, he does, he's not after, he's not after, a, 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 any sort of reward for it. He's, he's just trying to help these animals because it's the right thing to do. Um, and I, and I like seeing heroes like that. I like seeing, you know, I, I love Han Solo and, and the sort of the cynical heroes, but I, I do, I re- really love the sort of idealistic heroes that are, are in it for, for the right reasons. I'm going to go, I'll say, I can't not say Jacob. <laughs> I just, that guy, I, yeah. it goes back to my point with, you know, I feel like you're, I feel like someone else might say the same thing, but I hear, but like he, uh, just goes back to my point of like having a muggle character in the lead. Like it's just so refreshing and have him there and, you know, like him experiencing all this, but also like having his own part to play and that you, you, you can have, like you had these separate worlds, but having these two characters interacting and having him as a part of this is just so interesting. And he's such an endearing character, and you know he, you're rooting for him the entire time, and you feel so sorry for him when he gets denied for his his loan for the for the bakery, but then he gets it in the end, and you're like you're you're so happy for him. And then uh, you know that last scene, like like you said, you know that whole thing about well, does he remember? Or doesn't he? Um, and then he's in the Fantastic Beasts sequel, so I'm I'm interested about that. So, yeah, yeah. So to me, Jacob is the bridge between the the world that I live in and the Wizarding world, and I never really had a bridge like that in the previous Harry Potter movies. And it's not a diss or a knock on their storytelling; it's just that something about this type of storytelling, having a bridge character and a, and a foil like that just resonated with me a little bit better. So if, if I had to, if I had to pick a favorite character, don't get me wrong. Ezra Miller as Credence was fantastic. He was. Yeah. He was amazing. He, he is a, he is a chameleon of an actor, but I, as far as, as far as characters go, um, I, I did really enjoy Jacob's portrayal, his friendships, his relationships, his impact, 
the the things that he does, the fact that his story kind of comes full circle. He applies for a loan for the bakery at the beginning of the movie. He gets the bakery at the end of the movie. He gets his happily ever after. And it's it's nice to see that sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just say really quickly about Jacob. Um, I got to meet Dan Fogler at uh, New York Comic Con this year. Such a nice, nice. guy. Super chill. Uh, super friendly. He was literally just hanging out at a booth on the floor, selling selling some comics that he he wrote and and uh, some merch that he designed. Um, there was no, you know, he wasn't like down in the celebrity area where, you know, people charging people thousands of dollars for or well hundreds of dollars for photo ops and autographs. He was just there, yeah. Buy it was basically buy a comic book and I'll sign whatever you want and we can take pictures and just we'll just hang out. It was really cool. Such and he was super chill, real happy to meet everybody. Uh, Lovely, lovely person. Told him how much I loved fanboys. <laughs> so that was my number one thing. I'm like, I gotta tell you, man. Hutch is the man. He's the best. He's like, yeah, he is. <laughs> That's it. awesome. Yeah. That is so much fun. There's, there's always something to garner from all of this. And it's it's really fun what our takeaways are. So let's talk about our takeaways. Our, our final thoughts, our final impressions on this movie and what our planet scores for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them would be. Dominic, you're our guest. I'll have you lead off, sir. Yeah, like, like I said off the top, I, I really like this movie as a standalone, as, a, as an individual adventure just within the wizarding world. I think you have a lot of really uh, enjoyable characters that have a fun dynamic together that uh and then they go on 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 an adventure on a fairly self-contained contained contained adventure and it's it's a it was a fun way to to spend more time in the wizarding world a fun way to explore more corners of the wizarding world and it was nice to just be in the wizarding world without having to worry about learning how to be a wizard um and and uh you know, like it's, it's, it's I've seen this, the sequel. Um, I don't want to say too much about it until we talk about it in two weeks' time. Uh, but uh, I, I think, uh, I think that uh, this movie works best as a standalone, and uh, that's probably how I'm going to try and think about it for 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 the foreseeable future. Uh, and with that in mind, I'll give it a an, an eight point five out of ten. And I think, uh, yeah. Eddie Redmayne, Dan Vogler, Catherine Watterson, Allison Soodle, Ezra Miller, um, uh, Colin Farrell, Firth. Which one is it? I always get those two confused. Um, Farrell. Farrell, Colin Farrell. Farrell. Yeah, all of them, I think they turned in some pretty pretty nice performances. And uh, we, got a good, we got a good solid Wizarding World movie out of it. So eight, eight and a half out of ten. All righty. Benny Boy, you're up, sir. All right. Um, this is a hard one because you know I I I did like like I said I'm not like you know I, I it's not up there with the other Harry Potter films in my opinion, but it's definitely you know you know it might rank higher than I think now now that I'm thinking about it and talking about it like you know as I always do I always come out with a different perspective on any of these films that I get to talk about and fantastic beasts is no different. And it really is. It's a fun, it's funny. It's an adventure. It's different, but also using a lot of the same elements, but also doing things differently with them that, you know, makes it feel very fresh and very new. And, you know, it's a great little, you know, one-off romp. And, you know, I have no idea what I'll think about, uh, 
Crimes of Grindelwald, but this one feels like a good, you know, nice one-off thing that is just this little adventure with these new characters that, you know, they feel familiar enough, but they're also different. And it's not about, you know, a kid realizing his potential and, you know, moving up in the world and ultimately, you know, you know, finding his destiny. It's just about a guy that loves animals. That's a wizard that just ends up in a new city and gets wrapped up in a, you know, a really kind of a fun, but also a, a, an adventurous thing. And, you know, it's just so endearing. Newt's commander is a great character. I love how Eddie Ramayne brings so much to the character really does. He's not just like, Oh, I'm a cool dude. Like he's just like thing. And like, I love the moment where he's like, like, yeah, I know people like, yeah, I realize that, you know, that who I am and whatever else, but like, it's so, you know, the, the, the character arcs that they go through and how those characters develop and then grow close together, you know, you know, despite starting out on very, very different levels and very, you know, not too fond of each other is, is great. And I love it. And I love this movie and I'm going to give it, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Dominic 8.5 out of 10. I think, I think it's a good number and a good way to wrap this out. Oh, man, we we had such such high praise for this film. It it makes me sad to to hear these uh, initial impressions about what Crimes of Grindelwald may turn out to be. Uh, but we'll find out in a couple of weeks, and I'm not going to let that taint my perspective on this film because yeah. it was fun, it was whimsical, it was entertaining. Uh, it had a great cast. It had great characters that were well acted. A good story. Uh, it was it was well paced. It was well timed. I enjoyed myself throughout the entirety of this, whether it was for the whimsy or for the jokes or for the characters or the emotional moments or the the fight at the very end or the surprise that Graves was actually Grindelwald. Like there's there's so many different things that you can that you can look at this movie and enjoy. And I, I feel like there were elements of this movie that I enjoyed more than elements from the Harry Potter universe. Honestly, uh, it, it's not it's not a knock to that particular storytelling. It's not a knock to the writing of the books. It's just I think this story somehow resonated with me better than other stories that I've gotten from this universe. And so when I'm looking at my planet scores from the Harry Potter universe as a whole, this one actually ranks very high. And maybe it's because of the standalone nature. Maybe it's because it's a separate film from everything else that we've seen. It doesn't have to deal with, you know, war and Voldemort and the end games and the chosen one. It's just wizards. Wizards gonna whiz, man. <laughs> wizards That's gonna the whiz. Quote of the night, right there. Wizards yeah, we whiz. don't we don't need a quote of the night. We just got that. Wizards gonna whiz. Haters gonna hate. Wizards gonna whiz. And for that, um, I, I wish I could uh, go with the with the crowd and and give it an eight point five. But I feel like it deserves just a little bit more than that. So I'm actually gonna give it an even nine. All right. Nine out of ten from yours truly. So, uh, I mean, that's that's a fun movie and probably one of the highest ratings we've given a movie uh, recently. To yeah. be completely honest, and, and and can I can I say something real quick, Zach, about um, what you said about you know the the reaction to the sequel and 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 all that? 
Um, and, and I think you said something really that's really important that um, I think people tend to lose sight of when we talk about these movies that are part of a, a series or part of a franchise is uh, not liking the follow-up doesn't mean you have to like the original any less. Um, yeah. I think sometimes we care a little bit too much about canon and, and that sort of thing and, and what what you know is it is it this is officially what happens next it's all made up uh so if 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 you don't like crimes of grindelwald uh and you just want to look at uh fantastic beast one as a standalone you should absolutely do that and and not worry about what happens next if you love uh crimes of grindelwald uh and you want to see these as as two parts of a five-part story absolutely do that it, it it doesn't matter um you know you should judge each uh each uh, part on its individual merits, judge the whole series on its merits as a series. Um, but also if, if one part really works for you and the other part doesn't just, just love the part that you like, just love that part and, uh, and enjoy it. And, and don't worry about the other stuff. If you don't like it, you don't like it. There's nothing, nothing we can change about it. So um, that's, you know, I, I we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it this some more, I'm sure in two weeks time, uh, because, you know, of how I feel about the sequel, but uh, I, I hope I, I hope you guys have a have a different experience with it, and uh, I hope that if not, doesn't mean doesn't mean we're going to come back to our planet scores for this one and say actually it's a six now because the sequel sucked. No, the first one's still fine. The first one's still a lot of fun, and we can enjoy it on its own merits. So I just Man, I hardly go ahead. I hardly give any movies a six. Jeez. <laughs> And you know what? You know what? Like, I think ultimately, like, there is. I'm a Star Wars fan, and there are certain Star what? Wars movies. I know it's a shocker. No, um, there's certain Star Wars movies that a lot of people don't like, but I do because I can appreciate them as a Star Wars fan and still be honest about you know and say, hey, that's probably not the best movie. Um. I think, and as a newfound Harry Potter fan, I'm, I'm glad that I've been hearing a lot of the reviews. I've watched some reviews. I mean, I've got too far into it, but like, I'm gonna temper my expectations. Just go in and just have fun with it. And like, I like the idea of Jude Law as Dumbledore. Like, that's really the only thing I want in that movie. So like, I'm just gonna go in, and I hope everyone does that, and just like, try to have fun with it because the critics, unfortunately are ripping it to shreds right now. That's sad. But try to have fun with it, and it's okay. And this movie is great. That doesn't change. No matter what happens after this, there's, what, four more movies planned in this th- series? Like, you know, if they're all bad, doesn't matter. This one's great. We can enjoy this one. We did enjoy this one, and I'm going to continue to enjoy this one. Amen. And that's all we wrote. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's nobody's gonna be able to top that. Uh, but we do have some other matters that we need to uh, to take care of before we actually do call it a night. Um, one of them is just really quickly want to give a, a thank you and a shout out to the people who help uh, financially contribute to this show, the ones who keep things going for us, including the likes of Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. They are uh, financial patrons of the show, and if you want to be a part of some of the exclusives that we have for patrons only, then go to patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast to take a look at all that has to offer. 
We are actually going to be restructuring some of that for a, uh, a new look in 2019. But in the meantime, we're going to be doing something really special for patrons only to close out the year. We're still finalizing the details of that as well. So if you want to be on the front lines of that action and that fun, then uh, then go sign up and get in touch with us about all that being a patron of IPC has to offer. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. You can listen to previous episodes on Podbean at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. You can listen on demands on uh, iTunes, on Google Play, on the Podbean app. It actually has an app, and it's pretty cool. You can listen on there. And uh, we're working on distribution to a lot of other platforms as well. But if you've got an Android, if you've got an iPhone, you're in luck. We're on both of those. And you can listen to certain episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com as well, which is your number one source for Star Wars news, rumors, release dates, and information from the galaxy far, far away. And I can guarantee you it's credible because our friend Dominic Jones here is the head writer at the Star Wars Underworld. So that's me. Sure it's, to, it's, to, to quote it's Ben. It's an all right side. <laughs> to, to quote Ben in the intro of your show, that's me. <laughs> that's me. It's uh, a me. That's what it's I should have said. Ben Hart with no E. <laughs> this is oh. probably racist. <laughs> oh, man. The only race I hate is the 10K. Okay, sorry. Couldn't help you. That's actually one of my... one. Uh, it's, a, it's a revised version of, the, of, of one of my favorite comedians, Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias. He says, me? Racist? The only race I don't like is the one I have to run in. <laughs> Good old Fluffy. Oh, man. He, he, just, he just finished a special in, uh, in Houston not too long ago. It's going to be on Netflix next year. And he got the green light for a sitcom as well. So he's going wow. nice. to have his own TV show pretty soon, which is going to be pretty awesome. Can't wait for that. Uh, also a reminder, go find our merchandise on tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash IPC podcast. I just got a new shirt from them about two days ago that I plan on wearing during Thanksgiving. So, uh, you still have some time to have it shipped to you in time for Thanksgiving, in time for the holidays. Uh, our friends Joey and Chris have both gotten their hands on some IPC swag and uh, I've got pretty much my own section of the closet devoted to IPC now, which is probably a weird thing to say, but I'm promoting my brand, and you should too. So to go take a look at all the stuff that we've got there, we actually added a new piece of line on there that uh, you should probably check out. It's pretty cool. It's got a particular hashtag that everybody knows and loves from this podcast. So go check that out as well, tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. Indeed. But we're not quite to that particular hashtag yet. We're actually to the quote of the night, I believe, aren't we? I believe we are. Or did we already play that when I missed out? No, no, no. We 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 saved okay. that for you. Okay. Well, I appreciate that because this is this is this is this is a pretty moment for us. We we said our goodbyes to Stan Lee at the top of the show, but I felt uh, we felt it was appropriate to kind of bookend things to sandwich things by hearing from the man himself, kind of posthumously, if you will. Uh, it's a discussion of how he created the Fantastic Four, actually. 
And uh, it's, a, it's a really cool interview, and it's just really cool getting to hear uh, the passion and the energy that he has for the universe that he created. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let him start talking. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the late, great Stan Lee for tonight's Quote of the Night. While I was working for Marvel, the first 20 years or so, I was just doing regular comics. Then, after a while, I really wanted to quit because I felt, while Martin Goodman was a great guy and a good publisher, I didn't like really what he wanted me to do. He kept, he, he felt comics were just for young kids or stupid adults. And he used to say to me, remember Stan, don't use words of more than two syllables. Don't have too much dialogue. Get a lot of action. Don't worry about characterization. And that was fine. I was doing it and the books were doing well and I had a steady job, but it wasn't satisfying because I really think of myself as a reasonably good writer. I, I like to write. So I really wanted to quit and try something else. And I remember Joan said to me, you know, Stan, if you want to quit, before you do, why don't you do one book the way you would like to do it? The worst that happens is Martin will fire you, and so what? You want to quit anyway. So coincidentally, at that time, he had found out that our competitor, DC Comics, which called itself National Comics in those days, they had done a book called The Justice League of America, a group of superheroes, and it was selling very well. And he said to me, Stan, why don't you do a book about a group of superheroes? So I figured this is my chance to do it my way. So I came up with something I called the Fantastic Four, about four superheroes. But instead of making them heroes who wore costumes, I figured I'm not going to give them costumes. Because I always felt if I had a superpower, why would I want to put on a costume? First of all, I'm too much of a show-off. I'd want everybody to know it's me. I would never wear a mask. And why would I need a costume? If I could jump over a building, I don't have to wear a colorful costume. I'll just jump over the building. At any rate, I didn't give them costumes. And I tried to make them real characters living in the real world. The hero wasn't just a perfect guy. He was a fellow like me. He talks too much. He's a scientist, quite boring. As he was always boring the others because when he explained anything, he went on forever. And one of the other guys was always saying, will you shut up? <laughs> and um, the obligatory teenager in the group, instead of just like Robin with Batman who just runs around and fights the bad guys with him, I made this teenager a guy who didn't want to be a superhero particularly. He was like I would have been when I was a teenager. He wanted to go out with girls and ride a sport car and so forth. And the, and the um, girl, instead of an obligatory female who always has to be rescued and doesn't know who the hero really is, she was the hero's fiance. fiance. She knew who he was. They all knew who they were. And she also had a superpower that was as good as anyone else's. So she was a fighting member of the team. And the fourth guy was a monster. They, something had happened to him and he became very ugly and incredibly strong. And I used him for both pathos and humor because he was always fighting with the others, and not physically, but verbally. 
Oh, he's insulting them and yelling at them. And he was hot tempered. And he was always picking on the human torch. That was the teenager who was always picking on him. And I got a lot of comedy out of them. I called him the thing. And he became by far and away the most popular member of the group. Well, at any rate, Oh, and another thing, <clears throat> instead of having them live in a um, fictional place like Metropolis or Gotham City, mm. I plunked them right down in New York City. And because I knew New York City, I could write about New York City, and I figured, why not let them live in a real place? And instead of driving a car like a, an eight-cylinder whiz-bang, I had them drive, I had Johnny drive a Chevy Corvette. And I had them live on the east side in the, uh, I forget where, near Madison Avenue. And um, when they went to a theater, they didn't go to the Bijou. They went to the Radio City Music Hall. Try to keep everything as realistic as possible, even though it was just a comic, superhero comic. Well, the book did wonderfully. It sold great. But a funny thing happened. I got a lot of fan mail, and we had almost never gotten fan mail before. And uh, all the letters said essentially the same thing. We love the book, it's the greatest, we'll keep buying it forever, you're the greatest writer, Jack is the greatest artist, it's terrific. But if you don't give them costumes, we'll never buy another issue. Now, I'll never understand why. I will never understand why, but for some reason, People who like superhero stories like the superheroes to wear costumes. Okay, I'm not going to go against that. Okay, so was anybody else rather weirded out by the girl's laugh that just kind of showed up out of nowhere? What What are you talking? Like, what are you talking about, Zach? There wasn't. There was nobody laughing. <gasps> dun dun dun. Okay, I'm officially putting myself to bed now because I'm hearing things, apparently. Well, that's what you got out of that interview. Wow. I I mean, come on, man. You know me better than that. Yeah, yeah I should know. It's just that kind of jumped out to me because I know none of us are capable of laughing like that, and I know Stan certainly wasn't laughing like that. So, you know, it was kind of a process of elimination, like, oh, where did that come from? And it's like, oh, it must be his interviewer. Because, uh, unfortunately, you know, IPC didn't get to uh, conduct the interview ourselves, although that would have been pretty cool. But um, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just it's one of those cool moments where you realize if Fantastic Four didn't go well, we don't really get much of anything else from Stan Lee or from yeah. this universe. Yeah. I just love I just love the story. He he's told the story literally probably a thousand times. Um but you know the whole story of he, he doesn't I don't think it's explicitly explained but he, he refers to Joni I think as who was his wife um is the one that convinced him that you know that he he was and think about this. He was doing comics for 20 years at Marvel prior to coming up with the Fantastic Four. 20 years he worked and was bored with it. And instead of quitting, his wife goes, well, why don't you just do what you want for once? And what do you got to lose? Yeah. And he comes up with the Fantastic Four, which, you know, and you just hear him talk about how he developed those characters. Now, like, oh, I'm going to do this and do that. And, like, he was totally ahead of his time as regards to, like, creating 
you know, a strong female character that wasn't, you know, wasn't just a damsel in distress and all this kind of stuff and, you know, putting them in a real city and doing all these things that we're now used to, but at the time was very innovative and very, you know, just incredibly clever and smart on his behalf to make those characters. And ultimately, Fantastic Four was Marvel's first family, as they're called now. They are, you know, even though they haven't really had any good movies, unfortunately, they have, they were, they're legendary because of the comics, because of Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that they don't really have a movie. One day, one day, one day Marvel will get the rights back. One one of these days, somebody will figure it out. Maybe. But until then, I just don't claim any of those as legitimate children of Marvel comics. (laughs) They're the yeah. they're the Ramsey Snow of Marvel movies. Ooh. Damn. Yeah, I keep making Game of Thrones references because I saw the teaser this week and it got me excited for April of next year. April, man. 2019 uh, is going to be crazy. Well, yeah, because it's going to have Celebration Chicago. It's going to have Game of Thrones. It's going to have... Shoot, what was the other thing that's supposed to come out in April? I forget. Uh, wasn't there a movie that's supposed to come out in April? Captain um, Marvel comes out in March, doesn't it? Yeah, I think Mar- yeah, March March for Captain Marvel, uh, Avengers 4 comes out in May, so it'll be right there in the middle You're going to be sandwiched in between those two films, unless they move up the release date like they did for Infinity War. They could just, they could still do that, yeah. They could just be like, hey, you had so much fun with it last time, we're going to do it again. Surprise! Who knows? But uh, one thing I do know is uh, I'm actually getting really, really hungry right now. So this is a very dangerous time for us to be having this discussion. But it's one that needs to be had. Uh, It's going to be kind of a two-parter, similarly to this discussion. Obviously, with Crimes of Grindelwald releasing, uh, you can expect a Crimes of Grindelwald discussion in the not-too-distant future. And uh, this particular segment is also going to be twofold. So, ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags. It's time to talk about food one more time. If you're on uh, social media, put it out there. I want to see it. I've seen some people using it recently. I want to see more of it. Put it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, anything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time, one more time, for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Okay, so this week we're going to talk about some of our uh thanksgiving traditions because we're about to celebrate thanksgiving here in the states and then on the flip side we might talk about some of the food that we actually ate over thanksgiving break so it's a it's a twofold bbq discussion tonight kind of a thanksgiving edition if you will and a quick reminder that we actually have some bbq watch swag available now so go over to our t public site and take a look at that I'm actually going to be wearing my BBQ Watch shirt on Thanksgiving Day. Of course. Well, we're going to be having a lot of family over, a lot of company over. It's a it's a great way to promote the brand in front of people who maybe haven't heard about it before. So It's a conversation yes. starter. 
Exactly. <laughs> I don't have to make small talk. I can have big talk about my show with people for once. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. But, uh, Dominic, I know that, that Thanksgiving in Canada happens on a different day of the year. In fact, you've, you've actually already celebrated it, haven't you? Yeah, real Thanksgiving, re- real Thanksgiving has come <laughs> and gone. So um, I don't know what you guys are doing. Uh, yeah. We, it's, by uh, the way, by the way, me and my parents were having a conversation the other day. And and I was like, yeah, well, you know, you know, sometimes we we do we do the SW podcast. We sometimes we we've done Star Wars and World podcast on Thanksgiving because well, it's not Thanksgiving in Canada, so and Chris and me don't care, so we just do the show on Thanksgiving for whatever. And of course, my mom was like, well, when is Thanksgiving in Canada? I'm like, well, it's not then. And she's <laughs> like, she's like, what do Canadians have to be thankful for? Like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, do you want me to start? I can, Ouch. I, I can start. Do you want to do it? Go ahead. If we were to go alphabetically, I would start with the letter T. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Um, I shouldn't have went there. I, I, I would have thought there. it would be L for legalized weed. That works, too. That works, too. That's a, that's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But the point is Thanksgiving is in October. <laughs> well, what are some of your October Thanksgiving traditions and and Thanksgiving foods that you like to partake in, Dom? Turkey. Just turkey. <laughs> just turkey. No, no no accessorizing, you're just getting straight to the nitty-gritty. I give me some turkey with a side of turkey and some more turkey. I, I That sounds like a Ron Swanson dish. It really like I I fully I I that's that's my way of uh, going about things. Like occasionally uh around christmas uh, we'll go to my aunt's house she'll serve a turkey and she'll sort of sort of serve everything kind of buffet style so you get up and you go and you get whatever you want and i've been known to go and just get a plate of turkey and then be told no you have to go and get other things too (laughs) and i'll come back with like a scoop of mashed potatoes and one green bean and that'll (laughs) (laughs) One green bean. Hey, you said get something else. You didn't yeah. say how much. Yeah, I'm obeying the letter of the law, if not the spirit. Um, <laughs> so my brother, not gonna lie, <laughs> he 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 likes to he likes to identify as a carnivore rather than an omnivore. Hey, I feel ya. I feel ya. And uh, what's funny is I I then kind of trick him and i'm like so wait a second does that mean you don't eat ice cream and he's like he's rather confused by that question he's like yes i eat ice cream and i said well ice cream isn't meat so you're not a carnivore look look if i had to choose between ice cream and turkey i'd probably take the turkey so (laughs) Uh, oh man yeah Okay, I will I will let that one slide solely because you live about 2000 miles away from any legitimate ice cream. Eh. Nah. Eh. Eh. To me, to me as a Texan and only Texans will get and appreciate this reference, Bluebell is the one true ice cream. Just putting that out there. It, but isn't that's, like that's isn't of, that everything with Texans though? Like everything is yeah, better. Yeah, you guys you guys think you own everything. Uh, we were our own country for a time, so... See? See? That's what I mean! (laughs) Everything is kind of bigger slash better in Texas. 
The only thing we don't have is our own Disney park, and I feel like that's only a matter of time. Because <laughs> eventually people are going to tire of what's in Florida and what's in California, and they're just going to open up a new park, and it'll be somewhere along I-35, which means they'll have to finish the construction on 35 in order to make way for it. But I'm getting way off the beaten trail here. Ben, tell us your favorite Thanksgiving traditions and Thanksgiving foods. Um, Let's see. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just drop this one on you. Cracker Barrel. You go to Cracker I'm sorry, Barrel what? for Thanksgiving? Big, okay, for, okay, for one, most of the time, my family doesn't really get together on Thanksgiving. We mostly do Christmas for whatever reason. Um, no, so that that's just sense. become a tradition. What? I would say that makes sense. Like, if you have to pick one or the other, you pick Christmas. Right. I don't know why. I don't know why we can't just get together on both nights. Like, like, mo- like, a lot of families are spread across like the country or even the world, and my family is not. But still, we decided. You know, we we focus on Christmas, Thanksgiving. You know, and also we have like you, you're visiting. Like, you have extended family you want to visit with. So, like, we make a priority to get together on Christmas and you know, um, whatever. So, but for for Thanksgiving. Most of the time, I'm out of town. Most of the time, we just go places or whatever, um, and we'll hang out with family at Christmas. And then if you're on the road, Cracker Barrel is usually your best option, seriously. And they, you do not realize until you go to Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving how popular it is. It's nuts. And it's like, oh, two-hour wait at Cracker Barrel to get Jeez, in and get a tape. It is nuts. It's good. It's really good. They have the whole shebang. They have turkey and dressing and all that good stuff. It's crazy. But uh yeah, it's it's great. That's kind of become a tradition. Sometimes like like one time we were in in the Florida Keys for Thanksgiving. We went to um I uh and actually last Thanksgiving I think we were in Key West and we were had we were at a restaurant slash bar that serves seafood, normally speaking, because it's Key West and it's Florida. But they had turkey dressing too, so like most places, even if they don't generally serve it, will do turkey and dressing and and all the stuff, especially for Thanksgiving. Interesting, very interesting. Well, so for me, it's 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 kind of twofold. Uh, you mentioned relatives and holidays and stuff. The way our family's kind of done it for the last decade or so is one side of the family gets Thanksgiving, the other side of the family gets Christmas, and you alternate every year. So this year it's uh, Thanksgiving with my mom's side of the family, which I'm really excited for because that means I get to partake in my grandmother's famous buttermilk pie. All right, all right. And Mm -hmm. it is amazing. It is melt-in-your-mouth good. Uh, I've I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty much just eating Thanksgiving dinner, uh, like like a large enough Thanksgiving dinner to justify eating half of a pie or a whole pie, if I can get away with it, because it is that good. And I actually went grocery shopping with my grandma today to get supplies for all of that and uh, somehow convinced her to make six of those pies for Thanksgiving dinner. Nice. Wow. Nice. Uh, Mostly because she's not baking the 
pecan pies or the pumpkin pies this year. We're getting those from the store so she can devote all her attention to the buttermilk pies. And uh, I'm probably going to help her make it, and I may end up making one pie just for myself. Good call. Good call. So don't get me wrong. I, I love the food. Like, we've we've had all different kinds of turkey before. We've had the kind where you just kind of actually carve it, or we've had it in those those neat little slices, or we've had the... The, the pulled turkey where it's just kind of almost in shards or shreds or whatever. Like we, we've eaten turkey probably 10 different ways. And, um, and then the, the cranberry sauce and the, 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 what do you call it? The, the green bean casserole, the potatoes. I'm not a fan of yams. Never have been, never will be. Yeah. But, but the, Me but neither, the variety yeah. is one of the other things that I really enjoy. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to. So, uh, I guess once we come back from the break, which we are taking a break, uh, we will be observing the Thanksgiving holiday next week, so there'll be no new episode of IPC. Uh, enjoy your time with your family, as we will be. And uh, on November the 30th, hopefully by then, all three of us will have seen The Crimes of Grindelwald. And uh, we'll be back at that time to uh, wrap up this two-part discussion and kick off the holiday season because december will be right around the corner from there yeah it's moving this year is just flown by like for real it but really has yeah i'm glad it has though <laughs> yeah in some Dude, ways in some in ways, some ways yeah. in some ways i'm like i'm glad this is over with i'm gonna just get on to 2019 yeah, my 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 motto for the rest of 2018 is thank you next yeah oh yeah <laughs> man <laughs> To quote the Boom, great, to, to quote the great Ariana Grande. Mm-hmm. There you go. And well, as, um, as somebody who's a fan of Saturday Night Live, she can do so much better than Pete Davidson. And Saturday Night Live can do better than Pete Davidson. Sorry, Cirelli. <laughs> this is irrelevant. Yeah. There's Dom's hot take for the That's night. That's my hot take for the night. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had a few myself, and if you want to keep up with our hot takes over the course of the week when uh, we're not live or when you're not listening to the show, you can do that on social media. Go follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach Z A C underscore D F W. Uh, ben, where can the folks at home find you? They can find me at Ben Hart with no E. It's exactly spelled as it sounds. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram and uh, all those places. And also um, StarWarsInTheWorld.com, which is where I do most of my stuff. And that's also where Dominic does a lot of his stuff. But if people aren't reading your articles, where can they be reading your hot takes, Dom? Yeah, if you want uh, your hot takes condensed down to 280 characters, you can follow me at DominicJ25 on twitter and instagram that's at dominic j 25 and yeah also check out the star wars underworld podcast we just released a commentary for rogue one because you know we're super current so, so we had we had a really good time doing that and we may well do some more so do check yeah. that out as well and the feedback on that has been great been people great. have been really enjoying it so get in on it go enjoy it yourself and tune in live you know, next maybe, next time and watch it watch it watch with us. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's time for IPC to do something similar with our own movie, something that we haven't discussed in a while, like an Indiana Jones film or something like that. That would be a lot of fun. That would be pretty cool. A lot of fun. 
we may have to put that into our 2019 schedule because 2020, 20, I was about to say 2016, and I was like, yeah, we're definitely done with 2016. Oh, man. Um, I, I still I, I still have just gotten over the fact that it's not 2015 anymore. <laughs> it's, almost, <laughs> it's almost 2019, dude. Come on. I know. But I keep, uh, for until last year, I was still thinking, oh, yeah, it's 2015, and then realizing, oh, wait, no, it's not. Well, I was only cognizant of the year 2017 because that's when I graduated college. So now I can tell people I'm class of 2017. So uh, I, 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 I keep up with that a little bit, but I'm definitely not ready to say 2019. That's going to sound very weird. Bring on the roaring 20s. I'm ready for yeah. that, man. Yeah, let's bring back flapping or whatever that was called. <laughs> what? Flappers, maybe? Flappers, yeah, that's it. Dude, everybody... Everybody's flapping, but nobody's flying, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's, it's, time it's to put almost this 2 a.m. It's time to put this show to bed. It's time to put Mr. Jones to bed. But before we do that, thanks again for being on the show, man. A pleasure, as always. Oh, it was great fun. It was always fun to talk to you guys. I uh, look forward to our, our next our next episode. Yeah, I want to say we're at the end, and thanks so much for doing this, but we still got more. Yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not done with you yet, Dom. We got to have you back in a couple of weeks to talk about the crimes of Grindelwald. But uh, until then, I think we're gonna go ahead and call this one. Episode two fifteen is now officially in the books for Mister Hart and Mister Jones. I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you'll tune in on November the thirtieth when we continue our Fantastic Beasts discussion. But until then, we just want to leave you with this closing thought the swiftest path to destruction is through vengeance we hope that you make a swift return to the ipc podcast but until then good night everyone